West West Show. So we ended up just doing that And it's just random now Who's available Who can't make it You know Just drop a text And then Whoever turns up Turns up You, you know the boys Who make time for each other And it's just Man That's That's What, what, what it is Because he's filming me now I'm not going to say it <laughs> <laughs> Save it for the bubbles <laughs> But is there a Maris this year? Topside? Yeah 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 Simon Simon's got it Wow so it was, yeah, good. Time to pass it on, and Simon's the right guy. Had the juniors for years, teed everything in the league. He's the man. Where are you, where are you based for work, though? You're out Mangry as well? Nah, so I'm at, um, what is it called, Carlton Gore? Just down Newmarket. Across away from the... We used to be across from the domain. We're, like, just down from pretty much Key Road. So after, after work, off you go. No, I just play. Too many kids for that carry on. Sweet boys, thanks for jumping on me. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Little nervous, I can talk in front of a hundred kids coaching, <laughs> being a formal environment for work. But sitting here, even though it's a, in a non-formal setting, it's still, you know, it's a privilege to sit here, and it's um, something we don't do lightly. So yeah, cool. Glad I'm here. I get, I get what you mean, eh? Because it's like the mic, the sound, the earphones, are like. It's like something you don't do every day, right? Yeah, it's it's, it's unfamiliar. <laughs> and I think, like, because this podcast is about just having a conversation, like just getting people together and just talking, you know, and like to make it like this, like a camera in your face and microphone here and in the studio setting, it's like it hits the friendly. Eh? Oh, big time. Even putting the earphones on, I was here, Lydia <laughs> and 3.0, I was like, hey, <laughs> go serenade me, also. sing me a song. I heard many girls say that to me, also. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> now, thanks, Zane, for coming in, eh? Because yeah. have you been um, following the the preseason, the NRL preseason? A little bit. I watched the Warriors game and picked up the, I watched the Roosters game the other day and I was surprised to see Super League win last night, which was quite good, but... Nah, try, I don't really watch too much football anymore. Yeah. Just, uh, I think I've done football out. I thought that was a weird the time to have that, um, that World Cup, that, that, um, the game. The game, the St. Helens versus the, the Super Club Super, Challenge. Super, Super Club Challenge, eh? Yeah. Because they, I don't remember it being like before the season started, the NRL season started, because to me it makes sense to have it like end of last year or something like that, or before the World Cup, because really you don't have the Panthers that have gone. Yeah, it's not the winning Panthers. Yeah. Like Kiko, eh? he's gone. Yeah. So he wasn't there. Yeah. And that's kind of not fair. Yeah. Happy as well. He's gone to Tigers, but and he, he should have played. Yeah, and they're, they're key parts of their team and the make of what they do. But mm. uh, uh, it's hard to fit into both seasons because Super League has already started and they finished long before NRL does. So it's like, who who do you cater to? And for Aussies, I don't even think they take that game seriously. They just see it as a preseason game. Yeah. Where for England, it was massive that they beat the Penrith Panthers. It was messy, but I can't remember when the last games were. They didn't have it during. I don't think I they had it for COVID. 
No. Well, the COVID. She had to fly in and out. Mm. But I, th- I thought, I thought everyone was disappointed at the at the Panthers last night, eh? Because you know, but I, I don't know. Do, do you think it was fatigue, or do you think it was just coming together? I, I Again, it, after a long break, and yeah, preseason's just taken as a grain of salt. Like no real top four team is going full tilt. Uh, they'll, they'll start easing their way in. Everyone can win preseason. Warriors always win preseason, um, and then it's just who actually starts strong will dictate how the season goes. Mm. So yeah, I, I don't read much into that. Penrith are going to be top four regardless. They're spying with Cleary in that. That young hooker's going to take a while to learn, but with the class of Cleary, Luai, uh, when they get that Dylan Edwards at the back, their strike power is too strong. It's like a couple of key components out. They still got a smart footy game around them. Yeah, they're straight up. Eh? They're straight up. Like, look at it, like when the back end of that season, they were without both of their halves. Yeah, and they were still and winning. Like, no one remembers that much. Hey, but I was like, should they still made the final? Yeah, finish top. And that, that comes testament to their probably their coaching stuff. There, it's not one player dominant. Yeah, their systems well. Everyone sticks to the game plan. Everyone does their role, and they allow the island flair to be part of their game plan which a lot of teams aren't doing at the moment. So the parents got that good balance between uh, the structured football and yeah. still having flair. Yeah, bro. Um, if the Warriors get that, then they'll be a powerhouse bro, too. Back when it's time, eh? The after-cuff shit was freaking... Ali Lowe, TD, Clinton, Torpy, Stace. Yeah. And it gives you a point of difference. Like, everyone plays block-to-block shape. Everyone does the same systems. Everyone coaches exactly the same. Nothing in football's changed than, since the front door, back door. But if you can have a little variable, one person you can be a defender one-on-one, a no-look pass or a whack back on the inside or those little tie-ins, that's where you get game winners. And that's what the good teams do. You know how they spit up the game, especially in the round, they, they spit it up probably a couple of years ago, they changed the rules around yep. like just to speed the game up. How much does that change for, for coaching, you reckon? Oh, it just means that all good coaches adapt by watching film. And, and they just adjusted how, how many big boys they would carry, uh, who they try and target on or load at and then try and play more around the ruck because that's where the tight defenders will be. Um, I reckon it's good to bring up the game. It brings the little guy back into it. There was a time in NRL where you had to be 6'4", a big powerhouse, and, and the little guy didn't have a space. Now you're seeing all the young guys come through. They're faster than they appear. The top players in Aussie at the moment are, are, are small halves. So uh, there, there's pros and cons and everything, but yeah, I think it's good. They share some creative football. Funny you talk about size, man. I saw a photo of because um, I follow Sion Sion Yeah. on the socials on Insta. I mean, I'm I'm used to Instagram, but when I seen the That's size difference between see. the size between him and Roy Asotasi is freaking massive, man. Almost two feet. Who's taller? Sion. Sion is he's a monster next to him. Yeah. It's like <laughs> surely, but imagine that in that era, eh? Yeah, and that was when the Warriors were like sick, got, man. Check a Paliasina, they had powerhouse forwards. It was a like everyone says the Warriors always got a big pack, but their pack's been little. It was mm. only back in the day their pack was massive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was cool. He was famous man when I saw him when he does those um those breaks. Yeah. Straight off the kickoff. Straight off the kickoff. That was those breaks between two defenders, eh? Like yeah. I think he's had a couple of highlights. And yeah. I man, I was like, man, this guy's a beast. The the the, the that he had for a guy that big, like he might not have been Jonah running a hundred and yep. eleven seconds, but he'd be there twelve at least. And they're coming full tilt, 115, 20 kgs. Yeah, man. Balance, That's, Yeah. It's crazy. Impressive to watch. It's <laughs> and inspiring, eh, for, the, for, for, for his teammates, you know? You see that happening on the field. Yeah, let's yeah, go, boys. Yeah, might carry next. <laughs> I reckon if they got the right nutrition into him, he could have been world-class for years to come. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, just hard to tell. Hard to tell. 
So did you so, play back in the day? Nah, I didn't play. Flitzy was the man. Shut up, man. <laughs> Him, Bobby Hanson, Coach Darrell Henderson, Intermediate. Stars. Oh, wait. Stars. Now that you're talking about it. <laughs> now let's talk about you. It's like, you know, thanks for coming on. Also, like, guys, you don't know, like, you know, when you talk, we talked about um, with Dion, the route of going league and why at a rugby predominant school. Take us back, man, because shit, you. This guy's a classy seven man. You wouldn't believe it, but he feel like a prop now. This guy, this guy, like I remember, I played restricted grades coming up through the hood, and then I played rugby. But I knew that th- I heard of these guys, these so cool guys from Glenora <laughs> and Stags. I was like, man, I never got to see them play. But then when I did, I was be like, fuck yeah, they're, they're gonna leave this the school cabinet pretty full. Like I believed that much, you know. Oh, it was always cool playing league at Calston, considering that we were the little brother. Like, Calston rugby will always be the pinnacle of Calston sport, just because the history it holds, the calibre of boys that go through it. But to just leave our mark on the school for, for putting league on the map, you know, it will always be something that we look back on fondly. Like, uh, I was saying to a lady that I, I, I kind of saw Noni's post that just went up a little while ago when I was driving here, because I'm like, what am I going to see on this thing? And I check Noni's on. But just to see him, what he's achieved, getting into coaching, and the colour of the boys that, that were in that team when we went undefeated, when we put one Kelsen's title for the first time, beat St. Paul's in the final, for everyone who's watching from St. Paul's. <laughs> that was us. <laughs> Pump juice three times. I'll three times, one what? season, wow. 30 points on Does Calabar. it to our team, me? Uh, but, but even the boys that went before us, like I was playing with George, uh, Willie, uh, Hamilawaki, obviously, Danny Bernard. There was a lot of boys who went before us who, who kind of, Bought Calston League on the map, um, and for whatever reason, our crop when we came through were just a special talent of of true league players, and yeah, we got to do what, what we did. Was the chemistry, man? Like when I look at that list, because mm. well, we played sixteen screeners together. So it's <laughs> like, obviously, that's gonna carry over. That's gonna carry over, but just for it to carry over into school, yeah, huh? it's gold. Eh? Well, I, I I wasn't really in that. I weird story. I was on a um, scholarship at Unitech. And the week before the first game, Falasima gives me a call. We need a half. Uh, my mum, if she watches this, won't be happy. I quit my scholarship, went back and played for Kelston, and then I left the day after our Nationals final. <laughs> she was angry. I was sick in your seat. She said, what are you doing? You're on scholarship again. I'm going to go play with the boys. Yeah. <laughs> the rest is history. <laughs> so, yeah, good times. Because see, your, your, your head was that during that time, eh? just league all the way. I was too immature to be an adult <laughs> and go to university, mate. It wasn't even university. It was junior tech. I was like, mate. I haven't got a hair on my chin yet. I should go back to school. <laughs> I want to go clubbing on Wednesday with the boys. <laughs> so, you know, your, your your league journey, how did it start for you when you were a young age? Um, I, I kind of followed my brother. My older brother was two years older. Um, but my family, my mum had brother, my brother at 17, me at 19. So we're a young family. So wherever my brother went, I went. Um, so he went to Newland Stags. Well, he actually started Glenora, then went to Stags. So I followed. Is that because uh, your family's a, a league family? Yeah, yeah, our family's definitely a league family. Um, my old man's got a big name in the league. Um, and my, my old lady actually coached my brother when he was younger, so she she kind of taught him what it was to be a league well, player. Shout out to mum and the young coaches, bro. That, that, that's another one name. Like, mums are the, are the, are the heart of, of grassroots rugby league. And they're hard ladies, hard. Oh, yeah. They do all the drop-offs. Like, the dads <laughs> are still living their glory days, going to the after match, going to play topside, and the kids are going to train again, taken by mum. Um, but yeah, she was, she was a strong lady. Good, good, good lady. Auckland Sprint Champ, she used to make us do 100 meter races and she'll beat us by 60 meters. You <laughs> earned the right to beat me, boys. And, and and you look at that generation, like parents now will let their kid win. My mum had nothing of the sort. It was you win or you don't 
Don't preach win it, at all. Preach it, man. So, yeah. No participation awards in our household. <laughs> School of hard knocks. You know, if you grow up, any kids grow up with parents who are sporty, eh? then you're going to have that kind of sort of competition in the family. like Expectations. The expectations and just that that um, diehard attitude eh? with anything that you do. Eh? And, I, and I think it's just something that's natural because we've always, if you've come through Kelston, you understand that what it takes to get a rep jersey, what it takes to get a first 15 jersey, You've been in those trenches and know the caliber that's needed to get there. So you don't want your kids to have this expectation that they are entitled to stuff. You work for everything you get. You don't, your dreams aren't given to you. If you want it, you got to go earn it. Um, and that's uh, something that's kind of lost in this generation. Like uh, I do a lot of academy stuff and, and we find the kids that are not always the most talented, but the ones that have worked the hardest, the longest, they're the ones that normally kick on. So yeah, something, a testament to all those parents that push their kids to do better. Because we've, we've had conversations here with people that we, we have that conversation talking about talent versus hard work, yeah. And there's a lot of kids with talent, but some of them don't put in the hard work. And it's up to the coaches to try and get them interested enough to just not rely on your talent, but put in, put in the work, yeah. Well, it's it's a thing, nature or nurture. Like, I, I'm, I know they say that talent doesn't work hard, but if a kid who has talent is raised in a system that teaches them to work hard, it becomes second nature. Coaches that give them the opportunity to not do the fitness or sit out of this block, you're ingraining that your talent is better than everyone yeah. else's. Straight up. So, so we, we get to the 16, 17 year old and go, oh, that kid just relied on his talent. Well, you, we allowed that behavior because we didn't, from a young age, treat them the same. Um, I, I see a million kids who have talent, and if they're in the right system, um, right, they're the ones that kick on because their talent meets their hard work, and then next minute they're all blacks. Yeah. That's, good. That's too right, bro. You, you hit that bang on the head, man. But going back to your glory days, because you obviously played in that pack that you guys were a 16s unit, because he's obviously followed each other, because I don't know, so we went and I had a look at every photo, there's a Stephen Hatch and a Sam <laughs> Pittman, and I was like, Fred, did these guys like just yeah, uh, follow each other, eh? Well, well there wasn't many good league playing, uh, league teams out west, so we originally were Newland Stags, um, Ben Redpuff, Sammy and myself, Joel Burns. Um, we all came through the stag ranks together. Joel was a little bit older. Um, there was the Takare boys who, who were above us, the Fariwakas. Um, but we were, we were watching the likes of the Bernard boys, uh, not the Bernard, um, Perinara boys, who were the legends of stags. So you had Marcus, you had Bernard, you had PJ, um, and you had the older brother who obviously um, became the ref and played in Melbourne Storm. Um, but you also had like Batesy, we saw Wax playing. So we were in a system out west that watched older boys play and we inspired to be them, and then eventually half our boys would go to rugby because of school. So we kind of just amalgamated with Glenora so that we could have a league team together. Um, and then from there, that a lot of us went to go play school rugby. Um, once we got to 16, 17s, we joined with Bay Ross School, um, played against a few, there's probably about eight of us from our Newland Stags that went to Bay. And then from there, we were just kicked on to topside. A lot of us were still playing topside when we were still at high school. So yeah, we were just following Hummy and Danny around. Like, Doing what they did. How was the was it you know with, with school rugby and then you had club club rugby league? Do, do you think it's hard to get the kids to? Because I feel like there's a competition between the two sports, and and there's a thing where schools they try to grab every rugby player that they can. If they if they get if they get at league and they can grab them for rugby, then they'll they'll do that. Uh, I've only just stepped back into the space. So I'm helping at casting rugby at the moment, um, but. And all, all cards on the table, league's got to be a little bit smarter in the way we do things. 
Rugby is where our kids have to go because that's where all the talent is. And if you're first 15, that's the pinnacle. But schools like Avondale and Rutherford, where they're not first 15 schools, there's league players in there that we're not tapping into. So there's enough kids going around to fill both sports. we just got to be actively looking for them. So in the 1A comp, there's only, what, 11 or 10 schools? There's a million other schools that have talent sitting there, but we're allowing them to go play PlayStation or do Ram reads. If we can go tap into those and go get those kids, league will be full again. Yeah, because so, so. I remember growing up as a kid, bro, when we'd have, like, um, finals day, like Air Mount Smart on the number two, fuck, the grade started it from, packed. before 13s A became competitive, it was like 13s open restricted, then it might be the um, A grade, the, the B section, 14s restricted open, that that was the way it went all the way through up to the 18s A, yep. because there was no 17s, when either you had a 15s or a 16s, and if there was no 15s or 16s, you were playing under 18s. And that's how it was back in the junior grades, eh? And you, that's how how to, that's sort of how I saw who the league boys were at school. Because yep. I was a league player, so when I got to Custon, I knew all the boys that, like all the um like the twins, Alfie, Michael, Reddish, yep. and you know Cole, and they, I knew these guys because we used to play them back, and they were older than us, way older than us. Eh? Yeah. So I knew that we had our own against these guys. It's like you know, under thirteen players is eleven year olds. Yeah. So high school wasn't going to be any different, you know. Well, well, you because if you look at junior league. Each, like the clubs I worked with, Stags, Glenora, um, Point Sheriff, and Marist, uh, under fives, under six, and sevens, they're like three teams deep. And then we get to under 13s and all the teams disappear. Well, they're not all going to go play rugby. Why are kids leaving our sport? What are we doing to keep them in our sport? Or how do we give them? And sometimes, the biggest reason that kids leave sport is because they lose the love for the game. There's got to be something that when they hit their 13 year old, that we can keep putting their passion back into them, talk to them at the way that they want to be talked, and keep them in our sport. So it's just trying to be more clever about the way we do things instead of complaining about it's rugby versus league. Both games have enough numbers to thrive. We just got to be smart about the way we do stuff. When when it comes to the having a career in in both codes, to me, I think to the parents, rugby union is more appealing because there's more clubs around the world you can, you can get offered contracts with, and you can even go around the world. You know, you can you know there's there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff for rugby union where in league like there's only Australia. Australia and, and the UK. This is either Super League or NRL. I'll get shot for saying this, but I tell all my boys, rugby, if you play rugby at school, you can get picked for rugby and league. No rugby team's going to pick a league player from Club 40. So the opportunity is definitely in rugby. First of all, everyone watches it. But with looking at all the league, all the rugby schools that are successful, they're grabbing league players to play rugby. So if you can do your junior years playing rugby league and learn all the techniques and the tackle tech, uh, the crossover between the two school sets is amazing. Like, the tackle tech they're learning is rugby league tackle tech. The block shape they're playing came from rugby league. But their skill set and the way they run it's a lot better. Like, uh, being involved in rugby just for a little while, the the amount of time they spend just doing their fundamentals, league should try and pick up skills that they get there to bring to rugby. Mm. I mean, the other way around, rugby to league. Mm. So. Because we've seen that really with um with RTS. They picked yeah. them from, from rugby when they went to league. And then and then recently with um Joseph... So Ali, like he's from rugby too, eh? Well, Lamapi was the same. Mm. Rugby, New Zealand secondary schools, came and played a point, signed the Warriors 20s, kicked on to play for the Warriors, then went back to rugby. Mm. Um, so, yeah, you find a lot of boys can transfer schools and, and vice versa. So I, I don't think it's a, a war against the two codes. It's probably just giving our kids opportunities to be anything. Yeah, bro, that thought's crazy. Like, I think about, like, like playing as a kid... Shit, we had heaps of games, man. And because there's heaps of clubs. Whereas if you go and try to play r- club rugby, there's jack shit clubs. 
there's like not many, not enough. And yet there's like one big, um, you know, there's like two big um, provinces in Auckland that they didn't include counties that are fighting over all this talent. And if they ain't picked from club, it's picked from school rugby, yeah. Whereas the guys who play league, they've been trying to implement all these new things like having the nationals and then trying to have these um, like north, east, west stuff. But it's like, it's, it's the, the timing and when they play it is off. Hey, because of the season, like the Pacific Cups are doing, that the season hasn't even started, and that's a long carryover from when the last league game was. Yeah, like, it's hard because you're limited in your window. Like Pacific Cup tries to do it at the start of the year so they can include the first 15 boys, and, and then you're going to get the best league players playing that comp. If they do it at the back end of the year, the boys are tired by then, they're getting into summer sports, they're at exam time, and, and any sport that starts clashing with NCAA time, they're, they're on a license to lose. So, so oh, there's never a perfect window to play a rep tournament. Um, so they kind of just steal the space they can. And Hingy, who does a lot of the running there, awesome dude, he just wants to give the kids an opportunity that rugby players can come play league. And it's just basically just so the scouts can see them. Because if we can give our kids opportunities, they'll do great things. But if we don't give them an opportunity, there's nothing there. Mm. Opportunities is the, what we want the kids to have. But, um, you know, with the whole thing with schoolboy rugby, like if you go... If you're a certain age and you go to high school, there's there's no more more um, there's no more club for you. It's all in schools. But then with league, it's all the way through school age in the club. So I would have thought that's a good way of getting more kids in, getting more kids in. Because if they don't make the first fifteen, and they're not too keen on the second fifteen, then they can come play league if they wanted to. And because league is is yeah. still going through. Uh, yes and no. Like uh, I, I always thought that um, the main reason league dies away is because everyone goes to rugby, but you'll find it's sport dying away in general. Um, kids are just choosing not to play anymore. They're, they're on devices or they're inside and they're not actually getting involved. Or, or they're playing tag where they're not going to get injured. Basketball is the biggest growing sport. So the illusion of every Polynesian plays rugby or league now has kind of gone away. Uh, our kids aren't really playing the sport and for, for many factors. Health and safety, time, parents having to work, work longer hours, kids can't get to the sport. Uh, fees are getting more expensive. We're having more kids having to buy boots. Um, I'm not quite sure why rugby took, like, Flaherty's time, they, they played club rugby and school rugby. Um, and I understand that first 15, you probably couldn't do it because all the good players play. But like we're saying, Avondale doesn't have a first 15. They've got great talent there. It's got 3,000 kids. Where are all those rugby kids playing? They could still go back to suburbs when it used to be at Avondale Racecourse or they can go to Marist up the road and, and play league. We got a good catchment of uh, Avondale kids at Marist. But there's still a lot of kids that are slipping through the cracks and those are the kids that are getting into trouble because they got time on their hands. So if we put, do a big push, what do you do? Or, or even make it part of the... I always thought that the best way to get people involved with sports is clubs connect with schools. Yeah, right. If you go Maris connects to Mags or Avondale Wolves connects to Avondale, the kids naturally... If you get the coaches to go coach at the school grounds... You want them to gravitate that way. Yeah, they go that way. All my friends are there. Kids yeah. go where their friends are. So that that probably be a better way to keep our sport alive. But it has to be. Like, if you look at, like, that, that model there with the way St. Paul's... A lot of them get a Richmond. Mm. That is the junior club. That's where they expect to come back and play their senior football. If not there, they're Mount Albert. Mm. So, no, that's a good point, man. Well, you look at tag. If you go to tag comps, and, and, and I'm not sure if you're going to kids, but Lady will see with his, his girl playing. You go there, there's 10,000 kids there playing. Kids want to be involved in sport, and they play for rep jerseys. Uh, if we can find out why they're not playing winter sport, or if they go to netball or whatever, then, then we can actually get proper answers instead of just throwing the... Oh, it's because they've picked another sport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The sport grounds are packed everywhere we go. 
we're just probably missing some. It's actually an interesting one because that's one big tournament. It's a big event. Yeah. So I guess that's the law of it, the attraction that you can all come. A oh. all-day, two-day tournament there, eh? the weekend tournament. And it's Power big of social event. media, I, mm. I, I reckon. <laughs> yeah. Every kid just wants to wear the tag short so they see they're part yeah. of the team. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I love kids watching sport, but I can go watch the, a tag game and go, how is this a rep team? Because I skill level, <laughs> you know, it's a scratch. Yeah, but you're making valid points, bro. Like, exactly it. Like, kids want to have a sense of belonging, right? Because mm. I remember at school, and um, if you wore league shorts, because, like, I didn't have many many clothes, <laughs> but if you wore league shorts, hey. It looks you like your team. Bro, the stubbies are on with those These are the ones you stole from his club. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen his calves? Boys, that's why he wore league shorts. And they're like, hey, those are undies. Togs, togs, undies. But my point is, like, if you wore league shorts, People knew you were affiliated to that junior club. Yeah. And it was like, if you wore league jerseys, but you were playing rugby, so like, oh, clearly that guy's playing, he's a league player playing rugby. Yeah. But like, yeah, you're right, man. Like, kids are just keen, eh? Like, so. uh, and phones aren't going to go away. Yeah. So if you can make playing rugby attractive again, <laughs> and everyone wants to associate with the team, they got team songs, and they put up a post, and you sure, my, I'm in there. That's what kids are drawn to. Yeah. They, they want that sense of, they get their values through likes. I always say to my son, say, oh, Instagram foots off. Why are you really doing something? Figure out the why, and then we can get to the heart of the issue. Why are kids not in sport? Because they don't feel associated to it. Mm. Try and do that. They, they get more attention from a TikTok dance. Yeah. They're doing a long ball, so, yeah. I think you can see it, too, especially with professional sports here. Like, take rugby, for instance. South Africa is not part of Super Rugby anymore. And, and Super Rugby is a competition, as a product. If you look at it now, what it used to be, it fucking sucks, man. Yeah. You know? The days of Carlos are long gone. Look, look who we got. Mm. We got Australia who's not even up there. Yeah. Like you, not even top four anymore. Like, TAB is going to uh, put all the money on New Zealand teams because <laughs> that's the way it's going to go. It's not It's not a competitive competition anymore, you know, without South Africa. And them going up north is just indication to me that everyone's going where the money is. And you see that with All Blacks leaving. Like, there's a whole bunch of All Blacks leaving after the World Cup. But going, you know what? Going to like, ch- chase the money. Like, that point there, like, the the all blacks leaving and like yeah it being shit competition it's also from the top too because now that they've created this you gotta like to be a new to be a new zealand all black you have to be playing in new zealand and they've only made like what less than a handful of like exceptions to that exact rule but like if they if it starts from the top like you know anyone head of sport head of any like sport at a school or even like any club presidents if you can tell the kids if your commitment is here to play for this team, choose one. Be you know, be mindful that other kids might not be like uh, you know playing at that club and that sport as well. But when you show up to the training and there's only two trainings, it's disheartening for the coach but also the kids. If that message is, is like consistent, where most places or most kids sports that their kids play, you'd find probably get a clear answer like oh, okay. You can't be at two places at once. But what's happening now is that when the kids get to a certain point at high school, then they have to choose. Well, that's just limiting the opportunities, you know? Because those chances don't come around every day. I see what the brother's saying. Like, if the All Blacks at the highest level are choosing to go to Europe to play for money, they're seeing a, the sport's not there for love anymore. Like, the, yeah. Everyone wants the black jersey. That's the pride and joy. Mm. And, and I told a little bit of experience. My, my, my brother-in-law was New Zealand Secondary School's captain. Was killing it. But he was stuck in the locks at, at the Blues behind Dalton Papali'i, uh, uh, what's his name, Satutu. He could see that the likelihood of him getting to All Blacks wasn't as high. So he's going to go play professionally in Japan and he's, he's loving it. He's with 
uh, getting our Quaid Cooper, um, who's the halfback? Guinea? Mm. And, he, and he needs to play, they've got a four international rotation, so his body stays longer, he gets money for longer, he can set up his family over here, and maybe later on he might return back to go and chase the All Black jersey, but kids are starting to smarten up that in New Zealand you're just a number, and if you're not going to get a black jersey, why not go look after your family overseas? Yeah. At the end of the day, once you get injured, they don't need you no more. They've got a million kids on the production line. Do what's best for your family first. If this is no, like I always tell my kids, chase your dream. But when it stops being your dream and now that's become an income, then you've got to make business decisions. Yeah. One's chasing dream, one's making a lifestyle. And, and that's what makes me think about how they say the aura of the black jersey, all black jersey, like they're playing for the jersey, they're playing for the, you know, but I think that that's all gone now. I think because I don't know, I think they're playing for the jersey because of the aura of being all black. I think they're playing for the jersey because that's on your CV and it's going to be get, get you a better chance of getting a bigger contract overseas. I think it's gone. <laughs> on, I think it's gone on rugby a little bit, but it's it's returning in league. For those boys to turn down big money and the all uh, for the Kiwis in Australia to go play for the Little Nations, there's pride in those jerseys. Yeah. yeah so the aura yeah. of chasing those jerseys has mm. returned. That mm. I I'm not chasing the jersey. I'm chasing my people. And you saw that in the World Cup. Yeah, exactly. World Cup, it, it did more. That, that, that Samoa and Tongan team put rugby league on the map more than any state of origin ever could. You had The Rock doing a shout-out, who's got, what, 100 million followers from Samoa making the final? That put pride back in our jersey. So, so, so for those, and I take my hat off to the Tongan boys that chose to turn down the money to make a statement for Tonga first, and then the Samoans rode off the back of it. Being Samoan full through, Samoan Māori boy, uh, I'm always proud of someone, but it was the Tongans who said, "I'm going to turn someone to turn down that money for you to turn down that money. I'm going to go play for Tonga because it means more to my grandparents when I told them." That that's putting pride back in the jersey, mm. and, and you can see the difference when you can't even get a crowd to the Blues game. Yeah. All Blacks are packed now and then, but the streets were packed for Samoa. Yeah. Different different type of passion. Mm. So yeah, I, I think All Blacks might be losing the tint because it's become too business orientated, but when you keep flavour of family, love, and passion. People will chase the Samoan Tonga jersey all day. Absolutely, absolutely, man. And like, you know, for me, it all comes down to the sports culture. And, and you know, I always say this on the podcast. I always compare our sports culture to American sports culture because that's a different beast. And the way the Americans do it, oh my gosh, you can't even handle the the kind of tribalism and kind of passion they have for their teams. And with the Americans, they do it in all levels of sport. Yeah. Whatever, high even school, your school, high school, college. college like all through the growing up and it shows because the number two sport in America is, is college football you know NFL's one college football's two NBA six uh, NBA's is, is third but, but it's not just America like I think it's everywhere outside of New Zealand like you look at them follow their football that culture that they have in the sun uh, in England and that mm. those guys are standing in the snow with their shirts off that's their culture <laughs> you go to an Indian T20 game yeah. they, they barely can buy food but they're buying Season passes mm. so that they can take six kids to go watch this game. That shows how much they love their sport, and that's um, it's the probably the uh, con of us having so many options. Because in New Zealand we have so many options, we can do so many things. There, yeah, that's the highlight of what they do. That's that's their joy. Mm. We're we're too convenient with I can go to do many other options besides going to go watch rugby. I think that's what's missing with New Zealand sports. That that passion that. One, that belonging, that wanting to, because you know, yeah, you're right. With with, with cricket in India, 
man, that's their culture. That's they're passionate, so passionate, you know. Like you, you get teams that lose but still pack stadiums. Yeah, hey, I mean that's American sports for you. You get you get the lowest teams but the stadiums are always packed. It's supposed to be the packed. lead sports hockey, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is it? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, ice hockey, the proper hockey. Yeah. Sorry, no, that, that's um. I, I think a lot of that has to do with media. Hmm. And this is me um, on my uh, what they call conspiracy. <laughs> is that because media is not good enough here? Oh, I think media like to target the negative. We we set a narrative that rugby players are doing. Someone does something wrong, and it's the front page, and we start putting our rugby players down for the one bad thing they do instead of the million good things they do do. Where in India, they get caught cheating, but they still praise the people for how well they play cricket. They look at the positive sides where we have got a connotation to look at negative all the time. And we put our people into these things. Oh, dumb islanders, all they can do is play rugby. All they can do is, and now look down the street having a fight. I remember um, I, I, my, my boy Hummy always used to say, they, they, they will quickly remember the bad you do before all the good you do. And, and that's something that always sits true. You're, um, so far, you can get 100 questions right in a test, but I can say 5 times 6 is 25. And everyone just laughs at the one answer I got wrong. Is the nine nine I got right? Mm. So that's kind of the way our media is in New Zealand. That we always focus on negative too much. Might be because it gets clicks or sales papers. I don't know. But if we can praise our people a lot more and look at the positive side, it naturally makes us more passionate to do something. Like you tell a Polynesian, a Polynesian kid that he's naughty, he shuts down. Kefar, you did amazing. He wants to turn up to the next game. He wants to be a normal black. He wants to chase stuff. So yeah, different. Yeah, I think our sports media needs to do something different like yeah they, they tend to do all the negative stuff but then you know when i think about sky sports and what they've got with their sports shows and their talk shows and that like i don't even watch it exactly it's not really you know what something that's you know yeah. i used to watch line red uh not line red, yeah, line red sports cafe and the footy show because mm. off the cuff and funny and it was real yeah, yeah, yeah now it's everyone's got an opinion everyone i'm an actual black so they're technically running the wrong line <laughs> Unless I'm a coach, I don't really sure, care what line they're on. <laughs> oh, he got to the breakdown, but he came in the wrong gate. I just want to know what, who's that guy. Like they do that, I'm sure, perfect partners. I What's that one? That, that's the one where they, they, they'll ask someone like Fleeting, what's your wife's birthday? <laughs> oh, and then yeah. the thing will come <laughs> on and if he gets it wrong, they, they laugh. Where was the first date to? Yeah. So the NRL boys have to try and see what the partner's going to say on the TV. Mm. But that's probably the funniest segment of footy show. <laughs> yeah, it's got nothing yeah. to do with footy. Yeah, We're yeah. getting to know them at an intimate and personal level. Yeah. And that makes me want to follow that team because I know that player intimately. Mm. Yeah. Do I care that he did a tackle check wrong or he made three missed tackles? Not really. We, we, we have less of that. We need some more of that. Yeah, we, that's what yeah, we do. If we can yeah. make it personal, then we get pride and buy-in. The reason that people love the Penrith Panthers is because those boys are walking around with a boombox representing where they are and haven't changed who they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why they love Penrith. It's authentic, okay. Yeah. Probably yeah, the closest thing we ever have is uh, is Ruby Tui. Yeah. yeah. You know? That's, she's she's the man. <laughs> <laughs> like, she, she, um, I was just listening to the other Māori uh, presenter and she said that Ruby... Honey. Yeah, nah, the... Oh, is it Honey the one that they said Sunny Bull? Honey Bull? Honey Bull, yeah. She, she's... And this isn't to be racist. She's on the podcast trying to be European. Be an authentic version of you. Yeah, don't, don't try and have the big words. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> dude, they really smashed them, bro. Like, yeah, that was a yeah, whole segment. Yeah, yeah. Talk authentically us mm. so that us who listen to it can relate. Mm. They already got it, the, the Balangi boys who are talking Balangi. Talk like an island or a Māori boy. Then you'll, you'll get more listeners. Mm. Not, not, not um, I'm not a podcast or a presenter. Wizard and I ain't got no degree in there, so mm. honey, if you're listening, I hope you're listening because <laughs> this place is going somewhere. But no offense, but yeah. be you. Don't, don't like I, I'm always on there. I tell all my young kids, 
You're the only version of you. Then try and be someone else. Mm. Not all of us were made to do the shoulder charges. Not all of us have that offload. If you're built like a dog, act like a dog, be a dog. If you're built to be a gazelle, be a gazelle. Stop trying to be what everyone says you need to be. Be who you're naturally going to be. Yeah. Mm. And then work on the things you struggle with. Then we get the real us. You know, when, um, when Sonny Bill Williams decided to be a broadcaster and jumped on Stan Sports Day in Australia, and the, the first kind of, the first, when he first jumped on there to be a be a broadcaster, like, it took me a little bit to get used to it. Yeah. Because, yeah, he was mucking up some, uh, some of his things were kind of like awkward, not Fresh, awkward, but cringe. Cringe, eh? Yeah. But then I thought, ah, you know, God. but then he is being real. I mean, he's being himself and he's talking like us too. So, you know, it took me a little bit to try to figure it out. But then I, I really appreciate how he comes across now. Like, he has been himself. You know? I, I, I got love for Bill because Bill was our grade going through the grades. Mm. And if you know Bill's story, he we would make Auckland teams and all of our boys were mucking around. And he's professional from the get-go. It meant more to him than everyone else. And hard thing for Bill, if you ever get a chance to listen to him, he was a light-skinned Samoan boy. So he's trying to prove that he's an islander the whole time. And it wasn't until later on where he found his faith and found out who he was. All the pressure of getting chucked on that kid to be a certain thing, he didn't know who he was. And now he's him and he's unapologetic about it. Mm. And that's the cool thing when you watch Bill. Like, man, uh, people might hate that he boxes. Are you out there boxing? Yeah. People hate that he went to rugby four times. Are you out there playing rugby? Everyone hates what they can't do. I'm sitting on my couch, 130 kgs. I can't tell Bill what he's doing. Mm. You go do you. Well, you earned the right to have these opportunities. You earned the right to be in front of TV. You earned the right to offload. I'm proud of you. Go do you. Mm. Like we got enough people pulling us down, we shouldn't pull down our own. So yeah, I, I, I agree. Like first hearing Sonny do their stuff, I'm like, oh, you're, you're, you should read a book, <laughs> read a book. Yeah. You can articulate us, yourself a little bit better. <laughs> but the man's out there, and he's, and he's paving the way for the next presenter. Yeah, that's right. Like like, I always, I don't know why I always go back to Hummer, but without Hummer, Carlton Rugby League was never going to be on the map. We got. Kids coming to the NRL time after time after time because him and Danny came from my tech and he gave us a team that could win and then it became a proper pathway. So, yeah, it's um, yeah, always, always show love to the guys who've gone before us. Mm. So, so, tell us about that time when when Hummy and Danny came and that team and oh, that, that season. I, I had never seen a grown man in a 14 year old's age bracket. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the first game I watched, because I knew you had me from Glenora, um, being a Stags boy, and everyone talked about his older brother being a monster, and his older brother was a monster, but Hamir was like a mini monster, I'm like, also, how can you throw that guy four metres with a fed? <laughs> We're playing St. Paul's, then <laughs> this is a funny story, he, I know he won't mind me asking this, I mean, telling this story, We're playing St. Paul's in a semi, and we've never been in St. Paul's ever at Calston. Uh We're our number two, Jerome Ropati goes to run through the line, and Hamir hits him on the tackle on the inside. Jerome somehow got the password and Hummy had him on the ground. And he goes, Hummy, my shoulder, my shoulder. Hummy looks at him, welcome to Kelston. And ragged on him to the ground and form. They play in the same Auckland team and they're tight boys. He goes, now, this is my, I run this. This is, I'm, I'm banging. We had a mud team. Like, bar Hummy and Danny, there was only myself. We, uh, Willie Sipu was good and his brother was okay. But we had a bunch of boys who couldn't make the first 15, filling the first 13. So we didn't have the best caliber. They weren't league players. But those two boys carried us, and we did an Oz tour the next year. The following year, we played St. Paul's in the final, got pumped, went down to Nationals, finished second. But off the back of that wave, we were able to build a history. And now Calston's known as the second-best league school in the country. And it's not even our number one sport. It's probably our third. And that's, yeah, that's a bit of history. That, that was um, good times. Alan Gunnabill, not Alan Carl. Carl G was up there. 
he was probably our only other rep player. And then you have the Cole O'Connors, uh, the two twins that came through, Carl Edmondson. So there's a lot of league history, mostly from West Clubs. Like, yeah. league players weren't coming from far, like they do the St. Paul's to go to their school. Mm-hmm. It was just local boys from the hood repping the hood. Yeah, so that's what it was, the local, the local thing. So yeah. Exactly. And we knew our own flavour, like, we, we played like us. And that was the cool thing. But no, we, we had some great summit. Flady should have stayed a league player. Joel Byrne should have been. Like a lot of the boys oh, in the first team. The biggest thing, the biggest, probably, oh, not biggest, the saddest part about you being accustomed to not being able to be part of a custom league team. Because mm. we were, because like I, I had a few cousins that were the same horse. I believe, man, 100%. Had we fielded our best league team we at the time, them. we would have raped them, bro. Yeah. Well, I was in the team where we played against, um, obviously, Jerome, Ropati, Vantu Malawi. Uh, they had Roger. They, they, 11 of their starting 13 made the New Zealand secondary school. So the St. Paul's was stacked. And I knew if I looked at my first 15, we had 100 players that could beat them. But they were all chasing rugby. If Kalston did what St. Paul's did and let the boys play both, uh, we would have had both titles every year and our comments would have been full. Bro, I looked down this camera. Had we had a played you in 2002 with the league, the first thing, we would have rolled you guys. And you guys knew it. <laughs> know it. I would have been taking the shots and go every time. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take the points, bro. Yeah. But, it, but it was a good experience. Like, um, we, 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 we took a couple, my boy Leo, good flanker, first team flanker. I took him to the league. And it was good just to see their skill set change. Like, we're, most of our boys learn how to play sport at Paz Park. That's where we learned how to play footy. You're part of that era, right? The 100-100 there, pass. Uh, so 100-100 were next to us. <laughs> we had a structured game of the boys. And, and we always laugh about this now when we catch That's up. That's funny. Yeah, I remember I, I got, I've been down once or maybe twice. And then everyone, you know, you know when skits came along on the scene? Like, you wore skits? But you got the meanest mugs at the attachment. <laughs> Not the skins. You can we see it. Look like Tarzan, but play like Jane. <laughs> got all the gears, no idea. So, no, but that, that, that's like we. I look now and I tell my son, you got so many coaches investing smarts into you, fundamentals into you, all these academy programs. Back there, we would watch TV. <laughs> then we'll go to Pass Park. Oh, stay to the back door, wrap around. I'll be on your left. And, and we, we, we went on as the Pass Park boys because it was the boy. We had no social media, no phones, mm. but we knew at a certain time we were going to be there playing touch until it got late, and then we all walked home. I guess that's how we learned. We learned off each other, and that's the, the amount of talent that was between those that little 50 by 50 field. Oh, untouchable. Johnny Muruwai, Dan Samuda, Fasao Muruwai, Josh Shoga. Nai, ah, guns. We're a Filipino boy. Oh, he's actually Thai. He'll be angry that I called him Filipino. He was in my line. This guy, what's the son of Bunyin? His last name's O'Keefe, but if you read it, it says O'Keefe, so he changed his name <laughs> <laughs> to what's the son of Bunyin. But he was this uh, Thai boy who could hit like a Mack truck. Mm. Ended up playing first 13 in the year we won it on the wing. Only place I've ever seen a Thai boy on the wing. <laughs> Mate, what are you doing? <laughs> the same science class. Oh, no, it's good. <laughs> That's the thing eh, with opportunities for kids these days with social media and that because like you said back in out day like you know it's you only learn what what you're doing and you know all we, if all we're doing is is watching sport and going and playing on the field with the boys then that's early eh? that that's the training ground that's the thing like you go home and uh, i i got raised by my grand grandma and my grandpa there was only one tv in the house and I definitely didn't control the remote. <laughs> and I, I wasn't going to watch what they're watching. So you're outside playing. These, mm. these kids got an iPad, iPhone, PlayStation. There's 60 TVs in the house. And they're big ones. So like, we all had this little rear projector box. And 
I don't know what was on. It's normally something. And I'm like, nah, I'm not watching that. <laughs> so when you take options away, kids actually become more successful. Mm. With too many options, you don't know what to want to do in life. You end up doing nothing. Talk about the um, the academy you got going. Because you, you refer to the kids like, you know, you obviously, because you've lived through the times where there was no, like, like devices and stuff. Like, how did that, how did it even come about? Because I remember you hitting me up about the gear, like some singlets. Yeah. And I said, use the plug, use the plug for the bro. And he's got your gear. Like, where where did it come from? Where did it all start? So back in 2003, uh, youth gangs were getting massive in Central. Um, I'll probably have to go back a little bit while. I used to be a real naughty kid. Um, and I mean naughty, naughty. I'd go hang out with the church boys at school. Um, but in the weekends, I was with the hood boys. And we were doing everything naughty you could do, like... Uh, because of the way I grew up, we didn't have many rules. And for whatever reason, uh, I'm not bringing shade on no one, but I could come and go as I pleased. Uh, I didn't really want to be at home too much because my grandfather, who was an islander, liked to throw hands, so I tried to avoid it a lot. But we were running amok from the age of 11, 12. We were out drinking. We were, uh, my, my league coach, um, I won't name his name, but he was the local tinny house. Yeah. So we were selling deck on the side to make money. And this is 13, 14, and we got access to the stuff. So... I was on the other side of the law, but I still hung with the island boys who grew up in the church. And my grandma's Catholic. She went to church religiously, but I'd go to church hungover and just sleep. Like, Jesus had nothing to do with me. I was more likely going to be patched up than anything else or in jail or dead. Um, but that probably at the age of... It was 2001. Dan Samudu, who I mentioned, he, he, he... I noticed the change in him. Like, he started... We he used to talk about girls all the time, and I, I was pretty bad back in the day with... Um, yeah, no, my wife might watch this, but I went to school and, yeah, carry on. <laughs> but back in the day, we, we he was the worst guy when it came to talking about girls, as all of us are at Kirsten, because there's no girls there. But he would talk about girls, and then within six months, he stopped talking about them. I said, oh, what are you doing? He goes, oh. And he went on this thing called Spirit of Adventure. I remember to the day, I go, bro, was there hot girls in there? I wasn't there for that. I'm like, bro, you've changed. Why have you changed? Changes, guys. Ch- 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 changes. Changes. <laughs> you got to add the remix on that one. Changes. <laughs> yeah. But he started going to church with uh, Mr. Lafali, one of the Samoan teachers at Kelsey. He took a whole group of the boys there. And I, I, I've I, obviously grew up knowing all the stories of God. But when you actually see one of the brothers that were in the trenches with you being naughty, being a bad dude, make a change, a real change, then you've, what has he got that I don't have? Uh, long story short, I went to church. Um, I met my saviour, the creator. And it started me on a road to change who I was. Uh, I was a kid with a lot of uh, demons in the closet uh, for, for the life that we grew up in. Um, and I had a lot of issues. But surely over time, yeah, I packed it. Uh, I got mentored by a guy called Pete Mariner, um, Michael Jones, Ronnie Clark. I did a stint living with Ronnie and Pete in the house. And they just reformed what I saw a man as. They, they showed me that I didn't have to be violent, I didn't have to be angry, I didn't have to be a drinker. Uh, I only had identity in rugby league and, and being an angry kid. There was only two things I knew, how to be a man. But they trying to change what that was. Um, and then from there, um, where Kelsten, I finished Kelsten in 2000. I was meant to finish in 2002. I came back to finish in 2003, where we won the national title. Uh, but at that summer, we realised that youth gangs in Central were getting massive. Um, and I don't know... That's like going off the back of JDK. Oh, yeah, DMS. Yeah. Um, so, all at Aka Park's in the heart of Roscoe. And Marist is just a road down. We knew that the um, DMS were in that area, uh, and we knew the JDK boys were Roscoe South. Uh, I figured if we turn up with a football, well, me and my brother-in-law, if we turn up for a football every 
Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday and just run a pickup game. We, we might be able to keep these kids in sport and out of jail. And, and it was, we turned up with cones and a football and we just started playing touch with them. Uh, we're 20 years on. Um, it started as Double Clutch, uh, Dream Chasing DC. And it was our version of doing church without having to preach to them. Kids need to know that you love them. They don't care about what you think you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They want to see love. So uh, we're, we're 20 years on. We, we take kids to Thailand to, to play rugby league. We, we fund kids rock up. They get free gears. We feed them. We invest them into tag tournaments. And our heart is to show them that if you can play sport and you can find something that you're passionate about, whether it be music, sport or anything, you don't need to be doing those ram raids. You don't have to be living that gang life. You, you can actually do something positive with your life. So that's that's the academy run. Uh, we, we've had success, so boys are kicked on to NRL and stuff like that, but the heart of what we do is trying to keep our kids busy and off the streets. And now we're based out of Glenora at the moment. Um, yeah, it's just what we do. Mm. Trying to keep them young. So how did that organisation start? What, what's the name of it? Oh, so it's, it's we, we've just gone uh, a charitable trust all of a week ago, so we're officially official. Um, it's called Generational Impact, Generational. Um, but we're known as DC Academy. Um, everyone knows us as DC Tag, um, and it's Dream Chasing, but we're Double Clutch, Dream Chasing, Doing Church. So that's what the DC is. Um, and it's me and a few of the boys. Um, we've just been running in the hood, and kids just rock up. Like, we get new kids every week turning up, and they'll come in. And double, we clutch. <laughs> double Clutch. And, and you're, people will people see our singlets around, like, we, we've been around for a while. Um, You'll see Robbie Vai do his weights program wearing it. Thanks to Robbie with all his followers. <laughs> Good promotion. Um, but yeah, basically, we, Saturday morning, 8 o'clock we start. We do our under 10s. Then our next group comes in under 12s, under 14s. And then we, we did all the way up to 21s. Um, it's not always successful. Like Some of our boys patch up. And I got love for boys who patch up. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with boys who patch up. A lot of my circle that I run with are affiliated. Um, but if I can keep them out of jail... Or even get them into a, an apprenticeship or a job or something like that. We're, we're, yeah. we're making some kind of impact. And that's kind of what we do. That's beautiful, bro. I'm, bro, I'm, I'm blown away because something that you're something that you're you're tied to, right? It shows your heart. It shows that the intent of what you're doing is for the embitterment of the, of the next generation. Because one of, that's gonna rub off on one of these kids. Yeah, if it's not the advice, it's it's, it's the they're watching you do your thing because you know, even if in some capacity if they end up doing it far from the streets of where you're doing it now they might just have the idea we'll just go take some cones down you know they might be in Samoa we'll just have a game of touch and just see all of that grow and that's something that that's the seed that you've planted on those kids you know and, that, and that's probably why we do like uh, we get messages from time to time from kids who come through our program and they say we're turning life around I'm a good dad now um, and we get, we still keep in contact with a lot of the older boys that first came through the crop in 2003. We had a big crop of Mangry boys come through. Like our doors are open, it's just come, jam. We'll love you for you. Non-judgmental environment, unconditional love. My boys will call me because they got a court case coming up and I'll go and do a, uh, a reference point for them. I know him as this. You might see him as a criminal, but I can tell you all the great things that this kid does. I can tell you that he can turn up at 5 o'clock every morning to do a training session. So there's good in this kid. You just got to see him make, take, take that instead of what the negative you see. And that's kind of just what we try and do. Um, change the narrative of how people see our kids. Yeah. And then go from there. Mm. But that's a beautiful story, just laying it out like that for Pacific kids. Eh? Like, you know, like the game of league is instant, it's like it's almost international. But the game of rugby is international. It's like you know, the little things that you're doing in your backyard, 
Like, you know, you can turn that into a profession. And if you love it, you know, you surround yourself with like-minded people, man, they can get you to the next next level, you know? Yeah, hard. Well, yeah. one of our boys, sorry, right? we put a uh, post up the other day, Solomon, who, who's one of our original DC boys, just debuted for the Warriors. And, and that was massive, like, for us to put up a photo of him in a DC uniform. Mm. And he he's a kid that had all the talent, went over to North Queensland, came back, been playing topside at Glenora, and then he just debuted. It's a, it's a preseason game. But the work to know that kid's story, he had a kid young, he obviously for other reasons fell out of love with league, now he's back in love. But to see that, that the resilience that he had yeah. built and he's achieving, my kids now who are going through the program, see him do that and go, that can be me. I, I can follow, I can be there. He, he came from Avondale College. Some of our kids are from Avondale College. They, they associate, he's an Avondale boy. And Avondale's not, they're not known for sport athletes, but this guy just debuted for the Warriors. So if we can um, get our kids to see themselves through people who have made it. Because the narrative is so big. We're meant to be hardworking. We're meant to be seen and not heard. We're not meant to be at the table. Yeah. Uh, our people are people who, they, they want us to pick the fruit. They, they want us to work the factories. They want us to do the jobs. They, they're happy for us to have the odd Polynesians who's outside the box that are successful. The Sunny Bills, the, the business connoisseurs who do Pacific companies. But they don't want us running the Fonteras. They don't want us running the Telcos. If we can teach our kids that our flair, our flavor is what this country needs, yeah. then we can really change the narrative and get a whole group of young people inspiring the next generation. And that's why we call Generational Impact. And that's the beauty of that Samoa so team making their World Cup final, man. It's mm. like any kid now right across the Pacific. <coughs> no, like no matter where you are, there's not, no excuse now. Because yeah, uh, these guys are doing it, waving the flag. Like, that, that's why Penrith's so, so special. Mm. Whether we, and I have no doubt being young and having success like that, one of them's bound to fall over. But if we can remember the good they did instead of just focusing on the one bad thing that they're bound to do, because you try and give those kids have come from Mount Jewel, which is a, a rough area, and they haven't seen what it is to live a healthy life. They're, they're bound to fall over eventually, but if we can just focus on the good that they've achieved mm. and not mean, oh, we knew they were going to fall over eventually. It's normally. Um, you see the boys in Brisbane getting caught with those special bags of white powder. Mm. The poly boys are the only doing good things. But once they fall over, I can guarantee that blows up where the Brisbane boy who got caught with the white powder gets swept under the rug. So it's just, yeah, trying to change the media perspective, a perspective that we can all be great. You said the good example about, 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 about Penrith and their district because a lot of talent comes out of that. Huge. From that district, you know, and there's a lot of Polynesians that live in that area, you know, and a lot of talent. So the Penrith Panthers success is, is is like, if you see it and where these kids are from, it can happen, you know. It, it can happen anywhere, you know. If, if I know if, if Phil Gould had a big part of bringing that club up, or bringing Penrith up in terms of the clubs around the area and bringing all those kids up because he knew the talent was all there. He came here to do the to do the Warriors, but then when when COVID COVID hit, he left there. So. Well, we had the exact same plan. Like mm. uh, he he said, and I I don't know for some reason I'm sports science crazy, and I try and figure out the psyche of why people do things. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. but he went to a gala day in Mount Druitt, and all the kids were wearing every NRL team but Penrith. And they go, why? Because none of the local Mount Druitt kids were in the Penrith team, so they didn't associate themselves with Penrith. So he, from the four, first thing he set up was, we're not getting any outside talent, all our talents here. And he set up the pathway so that people who lived in the area, from the area, could play for the area. And now they've got their whole 20s group that's come through together, 
although some of them are cashing out and going to get money like I recommend they should for their families, you're still going to have a whole crop of boys who play. It means more for them to play for Penrith because they're from there. You could do the same at the Warriors because it's a New Zealand Auckland-based team. It means more to you than someone who's playing in Cronulla, but they can't afford to live in the Shire. Mm. It, it just has better ties. Do you think the Warriors f- fall over in that sense? Because they are New Zealand Warriors. They represent the whole country rather than just all, all, all Auckland City. Because I used to be a Warriors supporter until they changed the New Zealand Warriors. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a Jaffa. I'm Auckland through and through. Yep. I support all Auckland teams. Yep. The moment the moment they put New Zealand in front of Warriors, it wasn't Auckland team anymore. It was New Zealand's team. And I was like, nah, I'll go back to my old team. So that's what I did. But having that connection... Like I think that's important, eh? Yeah, uh, um, um, yeah, I get what you mean in terms of it uh, being New Zealand now, but New Zealand still, I can't support Australia. Like I know boys go head out New South Queensland. I'm New South Queensland. I never changed the time, but that's before the Warriors came about. Uh, I'm Sydney Roosters because that was before the Warriors came. But now that the Warriors are there, that that has to be my second team because I have a sense of loyalty to it because I'm from here. And the boys that get signed from here and play, I know them, I've seen them grow up. And that that's the only reason why I'm probably uh, a little bit more passionate for the Warriors and my boy Ball Boys for the Warriors. Thank you to Kyle Grebel. You're the man. And, and just Athens Hanare, who's an old Kalston boy, he's there doing the pathways for students and kids going through the program. If we actually knew how much is getting invested into our local system from the Warriors, like outside looking in, the success isn't there yet. But they're starting to make the right moves to try and get the right people in. Um, and get the right kids, but we still were stuck in that time frame where we're picking talent over um, work ethic. Not, not yeah, work, ethic, work players ethic. that want to play for Warriors actually want to play for the Warriors. Yeah, pride as well, but I think it's a mixture of things. Like we often pick the big poly boy straight away instead of picking the young poly boy who's a little. Oh, but the, same, the poly boy is the same age, but he's a little bit smaller, so he hasn't always relied on his natural athleticism. He's learned all the skill sets. He's learned everything else because he can't just run through someone. So we're picking all the standout stars instead of the ones that have all the right fundamentals, have all the right mechanics, and then eventually will grow into the same body as the other poly kid. Like when you look at a Polynesian athlete, you have to build them inside out, where everyone else should build outside in. So you get an Australian kid in the gym, when he gets signed to the NRL, they get him to start lifting, get in the gym, lift, lift, lift. They get a Samoan kid, he's already built like a tank. He doesn't have to do all the lifting, but they got to start teaching him mental toughness how to be resilient when someone screams at you, how to... Uh, we went over to Oz for a bit to, to try and jam league. When I got there, someone told me I was the worst halfback they ever seen in their life. Growing up here, I thought, who could do the best shoulder charge, who could do the biggest hit, who could do the best whack, who could chuck the worst, the best long ball. As soon as I got there, how are you a half? You know nothing about the game, you're an idiot. And they just grilled me, this white dude. I'm like... I've never been spoken to that way, I've always been told I'm a star. And that's kind of our issue in Polynesian kids here. When we're good, we get told we're amazing. Instead of getting the reality of there's so many things we can be better at. And that's kind of why Australians have that we don't. So, yeah. Interesting, bro. I, I, I never, I, I've never experienced it. But, yeah, like, sort of like the telling it how it is. Like, we've had people come and tell us, oh, you, know, you shouldn't say that, you should be doing this. It's like, well, until you um, actually show us the factory of um, stars, superstars that you've actually had on your list, well, then, you know. There's always that fine line between kids who play because they love something and they'll never chase it as a profession. 
and then you've got elitism. Elitism has to be honest, direct. Um, you still got to coach to the way that they learn the best so you get the best out of them. I, I, I'm, I coach juniors as well, so I, I coach my little son's teams. I've done juniors all the way through. Over here, I never worried about results. I worried about giving them the school set and making sure that they love the game. It wasn't until a kid says, this is my dream, I want to chase it, do you start giving them the reality. And, and even then, I won't swear at a kid. Well, well, oh, I lie. The boys who have been with me long enough and are at that age where they can take a man-to-man chat, I'll be direct. What's that? Don't waste my pet. My boy Laurie, Ranui boy down the road, greatest talent I've ever seen. He's been with me since four. Every time I look at him before he goes to the field. Also, I drove to Ranui, picked you up to bring you to this game. Don't waste my petrol. And he looks at me. He'll go get three tries. That kid has never had a bad game in his life. <laughs> Most talented kid I've ever seen. Most humblest kid I've seen too. But I can have a direct conversation with him where I know another kid who plays off confidence and at home it might be hard. I won't have that chat with him. I'll pull him to the side and go, oops, uh, you know you can be better here. I need you to work on this. So a good coach will, will love the kids for them and they'll find the best ways to teach them. It's not all kids are the same. So I believe in hard and fast, but I also believe in um, praising kids who need it. And at the same time, di- differentiating who's there to love the sport and just be part of sport and who's actually chasing a dream. Mm. Because it's good that you see, you see that because I feel sometimes like people can just force kids to, to, to do something then you don't even know if they actually want to do it or if they're just growing up with it, that's the only thing they know until they don't don't love what they're doing anymore. Like... Yeah, you're right about the. There's different levels to it. Yeah. Like, like once coaches figure out this kid is past this threshold of, oh no, he's taking it seriously. Like it's all fun and games in the beginning, yeah. but once you take it seriously, then you know that oh yeah, he's gonna go all the way. Like it's to recognize that part of it, eh? not not actually force the kids to actually. You you find kids' biggest downfall <laughs> sport is their parents. Mm. And quite that right. Yeah, that's one hundred, man. Because they're just going the force from the start, eh? All the way. It's almost you're, you're, you're living your glory through your kids. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's not, that's the first one, and the second one is that the kids don't react. That you know, like if you if you see someone every day, right? Because that's your parents. That's your they're your parents. Do this, do that, do that. In their minds, they can't differentiate mum and dad from I'm trying to help you. They don't, kids don't get it. It's not until they see it or hear it from their coach. Someone that's been given that position, okay. And then you can say, I just told you that. But the kids, they don't know how to do that. In their minds, it's like, nah, he's my coach. And and it's a lot of kids, like uh, parents themselves don't realise that they're doing that. It's also, so there's all, there's those parents who are too hard on their kids. And I coach my son, which is probably the hardest coaching job we've ever done. Because I have that balance of being dad and having the expectation like, we, he he had, I told Lady we had to change our time because he had multi rep trials today. He rocks up. I go sit at the top of the stands because obviously people know who I am in coaching. So I purposely hide so that he doesn't. He can go be PJ Pocklington instead of the son of Zane. As soon as he rocks up, there, oh, you're Zane's boy. So he's stuck with this connotation that you're meant to know everything about football already. But also if he makes a team, you got him because of your dad. So he's stuck in this uh, illusion of, even if I'm good enough, it's because of my last name. And even when I'm not good enough, my dad's going to grill me because I didn't do it right in the first place. So uh, I've, my wife will say this is the one part of my coaching career that I haven't mastered. I can talk positively into every other kid, but when my son has a bad... He, he could break a window, I don't give two farts. He, he got in trouble at school for 
I'll tell you another story of why he got suspended, but that's for another <laughs> chat. I, I, I was chill with it, but when he plays a bad rugby league game, it's like the end of the world for us. Because well, you know your last name, you know what's expected for you, you know when everyone sees you, they see me. So the weight, even me, who I know this stuff, even I put the weight of my, I want to say it's my dreams because I, I, I push him because I want him to have the option if he wants to choose it later on. But when I see him and my boy trains a lot, He'll be doing a 9.30 session at night and he's done a 5.30 session in the morning. He's looking at me and I know he doesn't want to do it. He, he finished trials and then we took him to the gym to go do his weights. And on the drive there, I go, oh, so we get to the gym. And he just looks at me and he puts his head down. we got to go get your reps in. And then i got to explain why you got to do reps. Everyone else is going home to rest now. This is where you get your gains while everyone's finished. Do you want to chase the dream? And he's got the option to go play in Oz at the end of the year. But me and my wife in the chat, I don't think he's ready to go because... Yeah. Although he's got the option, he doesn't really want it yet. Yeah. He wants to chill with the boys. He still just plays sport because he loves it. And the hard thing for him is because I am the coach I am, he's forced to do this hours on hours on hours. And a part of his loss of love for the sport was because I'm his dad. From good, yeah. But then when I see other parents, some parents will, I'm different to most parents where I won't, I'll never praise my son. Like he, I always tell him, you don't make a rep jersey off me. you got to earn that. I can put you in the team based on who I am. But you got to go and earn your own stripes. I won't take a coaching job that you can, uh, that you will make. Where other kids praise their kids too much, where they talk them up that you're the next All Black, you're the next Richie McCaw, and they turn up to the trial and they're terrible. And then this kid gets a disillusion when they don't make the team, and then the mum will go argue with everyone, why did my son not make the team? Yep. Have you seen him? The kid can't catch and pass. Let's be realistic with the kid. And I'm not saying kill the kid's dream, but we can't pump too much smoke into our kid's mum where they have this big head vision that I'm above the law. Um, yeah, so it's a it's a balancing act. I understand it, Luz. I understand it 100, bro. Like, we, I think sometimes we can get put in that bracket where, like, you know, man, you should, you should leave those old ways behind. But these are the ones that will surface when shit hits the fan. Amen to that? Because what you're doing, Luz, it's like, I feel like when you're saying that stuff, it's like, yeah, because sometimes when it falls over, you're building him for that fall. Because, I mean, you got to hit rock bottom to get back up. And like, if a kid doesn't understand that, like it's not going to work out or you're not working hard enough, that's when you can say, what did I say? That's exactly what I've been trying to drill into you, right? We, we, there's this one time I, I live across the road from Glenora, so my son's training there all the time. Not very good for him because I can cross the road and he has to do fitness. But a word... Um, I don't know if I can say this. P- am I allowed to say pufta? So the word pufta to us growing up in Kelston was a way to motivate us. Don't be a pufta. It was nothing to do with gays. Hum, you say, Shout out to Hums and Wax, yeah, bro, because yeah, that, that is this part that's, of the vocab. That's, that's cool. That, that, that was his word. Every time I look at me on the field and I'm tired, he goes, stop being a pufta. I know I'm making the next three tackles. Like, it was a trigger in my mind that made me play harder for, for the boys. So I was doing reps with my son and he's crying. I'm looking stop being a pufta. Lady walks up to me, don't talk to him that way. Uh, thank you, miss, for your advice. Mm. Not saying, uh, she was, she was light-skinned, so I fully understand, I didn't go to her. I'm looking, I'm thinking in my head, lady, if you knew what that word meant to us, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not said with a negative tone, it's, you got more in you, you only have 40% now. Find a, another gear and go again. Mm. It's said with love. And, and it's just that narrative that, although the words and tones that come out of our mouth might seem hard, we're doing it from a point of love. It's the intent. And my, my son knows that because we raised him, my, my son's not like me, so he didn't get, he hasn't grown up with that natural mongrel in him. 
because he, he didn't see violence in the household. He, he was raised in a happy environment. Me and my wife for 20 years. Oh, sorry. We've been together 20 years, married 14. They, they've never seen us have those fights or we don't oh, we don't get drunk at home and, and do this stuff. So she, he's never seen it. So when I am growling him, his, his underlining thing is he knows he's loved first. So I can have that hard chat with him because he knows it comes from a plan of love and it's only in football that he gets in trouble. Schoolwork, I push him. My son's brainy. I don't know how. Got it from his mum's side, not me. <laughs> I was playing cards in the library with him. <laughs> Cast it. I was sleepy, Jay. I was sleepy. The principal called me into a meeting when my son had to go. He goes, uh, you're a student first, athlete second. Because it must be on our report cards that I never went to class. <laughs> <laughs> but shout out to Cast on Boys. Great, great, great environment at the moment. But when, when kids understand that their identity isn't in football, their identity isn't in their likes. Their identity isn't based on who says what they are. It's foundation that they're loved. They're loved first by the creator, loved by their mum and dad. They're loved by themselves. Then regardless of what you say to them, they're resilient. Because it's not changing by, oh, this guy didn't like my post. My, my son, for some reason, has a, a following on TikTok. And he'll come to me, Dad, look at what these guys are writing. And they, he gets hated comments all the time. And I keep telling him, don't worry. Do you know them? Then their opinion doesn't matter. <coughs> Just keep going. So it's, I know PC's coming. Yeah. My household's not PC. So that's all vital, pure spit you're talking, man. Because I can tell you now, my daughter, she's like that. This is the one, this is the one you hit me up with. Oh, she's paying for leaves in that. Like yeah, yeah, I yeah. said, oh, she's like TikTok famous. Where my gofale, shh, clean the toilet. That's the, because it's preparing <laughs> for their fall from grace if it happens. That's what it is. That's the reality, eh? That, that, that's, that's, that's the big thing My son gets a lot of praise But when you get back in the house Go do the rubbish <laughs> Go do the dishes also. They might praise you out there But here you're my son mm -hmm. And you teach everyone else below you The standards mm -hmm. The messy room His mom will come in Yell him Clean your room Like that, that's kind of The foundation of who we are mm -hmm. Where When we know that I uh, I've been successful In a commercial setting For work But every now and then I eat Zayo uh, What is that Tune Fish. Old, old Macro fish, macro fish. Because you eat too many corporate lunches, you forget who you are and where you came from. And you get the sense of, I'm better than what I was. No, no, no. I'm still that hood kid that had nothing growing up. Like, we, we, were, we were living in a car underneath a bridge. Like, that's how bad our life was. I'm still that kid. Yeah. I've, I've been more successful now, but I'm grounded and I know where I started. Be grateful for where I am now. Don't take that stuff for, for, for granted. Mm. And yeah, so every now and then, my son will get, what's this giving me profit to? <laughs> I love it. Uh, humble. At <laughs> me. Uh, just the other day, to my youngest, and like, bro, you know, we've had listeners say, oh, bro, they talk to your kids like that, man, let go of that local younger shit that our parents is. But to me, it's gold. Because, you know, I've been crunching numbers and saying, like, we you know when the interest rates goes up and how hard it's going to be on the pocket. So I said, man, I'm going to give my kids some of my humble, humble book. So I really got a up a you know, um a mackerel can. And I said, This one mackerel can here and I bottled a you know, a, a, a gravy and I said, This is enough to feed twelve people <laughs> 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 to go hard. It was my daughter smashed it and I said to her, You gotta understand, that's a four dollar can back then would have been like a dollar fifty. Used to feed twelve of us at home and a pot of rice. Don't don't think we can just go out the road and get Maccas whenever we got money, but Man, this is what I used to eat every day. Tuna and rice, eh? Hey, that was that one. Tuna that, rice. that was our meal. Yeah, tuna and rice. But that that's still golden now. I love tuna and oh, rice. Oh, yeah, oh, that's bro. nice, man. But you're right, dude. You, you can have rice, the big tuna. Hey, but some of these times, <laughs> hey, 
the hot craze, what you would put up on. And that's mine, it's chicken. And that's only because the corned beef price went up for corned beef. Oh, for you know, so you had to get the tuna and rice. Yeah, <laughs> that. that is my favorite. Well, you can tell us it's not a ebb life over here. <laughs> paleo, no paleo. You know, you know, like just listening to you talk about how you preach and your coaching and even raising your son, like when you talk about resilience, that's a good thing because. Man, we just had a podcast before this talking about how, you know, people can get triggered and we're talking about how um, we sort of touched on Israel Falau, how he got in trouble for saying what he's saying. And he's on a big platform. Uh, Sonny B. Williams, he did a tweet just recently, which which angered some people and he, he deleted his tweet. But it was all based on, the, the texts were all based on, hey man, you got this big platform millions of people follow you you can't say stuff like that otherwise kids will you know commit suicide or that kind of stuff or you know, you know get the wrong idea and do something bad but you know but we talking about kids having having resilience in that it's like isn't that what we're supposed to be doing like why are you worried about people listening to stuff and they might do something bad when they should think for themselves that nah they should know what right or wrong is or what, know what to do. That, so to me, that's not an excuse. That, that's life 101. Like, yeah. <laughs> not, not, not just resilience in regards to I take offense to this, or we, we, we tend to find excuses for everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, like someone will label, oh, I sent my son to Auckland Grammar because they got a better education. I know kids at Auckland Grammar, they fail. Well, well their education wasn't good then. Education is based on what I do in the home to whether my kid gets a good education. Whether I push, do your homework. Whether I push, go to your class. Whether I push, do that. So I can make an excuse for education. I can do the same about if someone, if Lily goes, also, you're looking fat. Okay, you can't talk to me like that. That's my curves. I love it. I, I should be proud of who I am. No, there's truth in that. I'm fat. You can't take offense for truth. Mm. Truth is yeah. truth. How you take the message. Yeah, yeah. How you take the message on you. And if it hurts your feelings, unlucky also. Yeah. <laughs> truth hurts sometimes. That's what I mean, yeah. man. That's what I mean. Like, but that's, that's I mean, like, the preparing your kids for reality. Because oh. our kids are so, like, they're influenced by social media and all the rest of it. But the reality, like, we're talking about what's happening in front of you, in front of your hands, right? That That's what hits different with the next generation. This is like, they're so used to just. Looking at devices and but this pretend world that that mentally weakness stuff is so common in our kids, mm. but but once you hit eighteen and leave high school, and, and rubber meets the road, you got to pay that rent that week for your baby and your wife who needs nappies and diapers. They don't care if your feelings are hurt. You got to turn up to that job at six o'clock in the morning to go get my first job. I was paper chasing, running, chucking paper on top of a bin. I mean, into you know, chucking into the truck. You gotta put that yakka in because the boss don't care if oh, my feelings are hurt that day. The world, although they say it's PC, it's not, because bills are never PC. Your kids need to eat ain't PC. The cost for a house ain't PC. You have to have a little level of toughness, or else you're going to complain about everything and sit on your couch and do nothing. There, there's a million of other brothers who, who, I know people talk about mental health all the time now, but I'm going to be honest. Mental health only came around because people started talking about it. I can tell you all the time there's times I don't want to get out of bed. But I knew I had responsibilities yeah. that i got to get out of bed. My kids need to eat. And when we started making that a softer generation where we should feel be in contact with our feelings, we should talk about mental health, we started making it bigger than it needed to be. Exactly. I, got a, I, I, 
I don't always like to talk about my upbringing, but because it was so raw and so hard, I thought that was normal. It's only when I look back now that I'm smarter that I say that that was bad. If we don't put a label on it, that's normality. You just keep going and you survive. Humans are made to survive. When you make them, give them reasons not to survive, they'll cry about everything. Sorry, that's a bit hard. This went on a weird tangent. <laughs> no, <that's, laughs> My bad. <laughs> but that, but it's like, yeah, but that's reality. That's real. You know what I mean? That's real yarns with someone who's obviously the way you talked about your upbringing, but then also the way you are as a parent now. Because, yeah, you, you know the sports. You played it. You now breathe it as a coach. You're now installing that into your kid. You're giving him the baseline of like, you know, his his foundation is so solid now. No matter what you do in your life, you're going to be loved. Like that in itself is like, bro, there's no kid that's going to ever feel like trying to grab a rape or anything like that. Like to me, that's just straight, man, no matter what the decision it is, right? Even if you got caught, you got picked up by the cops. They never have the fear of being able to get a hold of me or mum. That, that's the beauty in what you're saying. Well, that, that's how it goes. Like uh, I had, uh, I was always only wanting two boys. But I got four kids, just in case. Just in case one just was. In case hey, you had <laughs> just because I, I got cousins who are, who are, um, are gay, and I love them. So I got no issues with gays. I'm, I'm happy. Churchill, regardless, I love you for letting you. But just in case one of my sons were, I wanted to, so that he could carry on the family. It took me four to get them. So I got a boy, Charlie, who's a tomboy. That's a girl. But carry on, Jane, and then Bradley. But my daughters are the ones that I invest probably uh, most of my love language to. Because I figure if I can teach them that they are loved first at home, they won't look for it in an Instagram post. They won't look at, for it in another boy who's talking nice to them online. So a, a daughter's love is dictated by how the father loves them. And so real, real big that, you know, Gladys says if the kids know they're loved at home, they don't find a route. But it's not even to that extent where it's just suicide. They don't look for love in the wrong person who will treat them bad because they weren't known how to love at home. My son's not going to go treat a girl bad because he's never seen me treat his mother bad. Like... The, the importance of boys, uh, how we raise our kids and how they see us treat their mum, that flows onto communities. That's generational change. Like, I, I, I grew up in a household where I didn't really see what a father, how a father should love a kid. I just knew what I wanted to see. So so we, we have to be the pillars of change. If we want change, we've got to do it ourselves. And I tell my son all the time, you know, what change are you going to bring? Who, how are you going to change the world? And, and it starts from those little things at home. If I can tell my daughter she's loved every day, if I can tell her, like, and I'm hard to my oldest daughter because she's the oldest. My daughter's not allowed to sleep in no one's house. Can I go to sleep in the 50? Yeah. <laughs> and they, they can't even stay at relatives' houses because... We're, we're the same, but that's the best practice, man. That's the best practice. But, but I always tell them, well, my youngest one I'm probably more affectionate with. You look beautiful today, love. Now go put more clothes on. <laughs> and I always tell them, do you ever see dad leave cash on the windowsill? Do you ever see dad leave his watches out on the windowsill? No. Why? Where do we put them? You hide them away. Why? Because they're valuable. If you hold it as valuable, baby, you don't show it to everyone. You hide that stuff. So I try and teach you that you cover up. You don't put that stuff on Instagram. Not No offense to any girl that does that, but I want you to value yourself more than a boy's going to value you. And, and that's kind of the language I love speak. that, Ruth. You know what? I just cleared up my wardrobe, right? Because, you know, all the flooding and stuff that's been happening... And one of the horses' house got hurt bad, but he had his emergency kit ready to go. So I said it on here, like, you know, there's one thing we can do is prepare. So I started cupping on my wardrobe. And when I was looking at all the perfumes, right, and just the other day I tweeted, if you want an instinct repellent for your kamikis, the girls, the girls especially, 
go buy this Ariana Grande perfume. And it's a one of a heart. <laughs> so I was like, fuck, man. Did you imagine of those fob dads that showed up in the factory timping and they're walking around like, and they're covering my nose. But then when I was cleaning that up and there was a whole lot of ones that Nick got and I'm like, damn, there's Tommy fucking, there's heaps of DKNY that's sitting there, full bottles that their mum won't wear. And I'm like, come on, mate. <laughs> Put it on the hood, they sell that one because you look like you'd wear that one. And I'm saying, hey, I know you wear that stink perfume and I tell you not to wear it. But these bottles here, if you want to get the looks after you've walked 20 metres away, wear that one. You know, don't wear that stink one. But if you want to go to school and, you know what I mean, like wear it, yeah, wear it at the front door and then go outside the house. But like, that's a harsh reality. Like the kids might laugh about it, but it's true. It's like, man, if you're not going to tell them straight up and have the conversations, well, then it's just going to be one of those awkward. Like, oh, like, oh no, my, my dad never told me that. Ever had a sex tech talk with your son? Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I never had a parent to tell me that talk, so I'm trying to tell. Yeah. But I'm, I'm on that mindset. If I don't have that chat with them, the world will have that chat with them, and they'll get a misconception of what yeah. sex is. And same with my daughters. And my daughters, my girl is only, I think, 12, and the other one's nine. And you can tell that uh, attention of boys is starting to come. And I'm like, okay, I need to explain to you what is healthy, what's not healthy, how do you perceive yourself, and all these things. But... If we don't change the narrative to what we want to be, they're going to look for it online. And I told my son, like, ah, uh, uh, transparency here. My son's at the age where boys start to do things with themselves. Mm-hmm. I told him, as soon as you touch it, also, you're not going to stop. Don't touch it. As soon as you touch it once, you won't be able to stop. I can, I can guarantee as a dad that struggled with that his whole life, don't touch it. And I'll have those honest chats with him. Because right, as soon as I, I, he's got Instagram thing, there's girls who are wanting to send them photos. But I'm like, see, see, we're clever, though. My mom, my wife has access to his, to, to certain things. <laughs> so if you can send it, your mom's going to see it all. <laughs> but we try and tell them that if a girl sends it to you that easily, that's not the girl you want regardless. So so the one that hard, if she comes easy, anyone can get her. Get the one that's hard to get. Because uh, if only you can get her, you don't have to worry about anything else. None of the boys could have got her in the first place. But back to where I was staying, I, I try and tell them that if if you go onto things that I, I got three three issues with my life, I always knew, and I, I'm very self aware that my ego is my biggest downfall, uh, my pride is bad, my addiction and lust. So I try and tell my son that these are dad's four weaknesses. And I'm a strong man, like I, I you know me, I'm, I do most things right, but when it comes to pornography, when it comes to people talking highly of me, those are my weaknesses. I don't want you to have the same weaknesses. So I purposely don't have access to sites like that. I purposely will go sit at the back of a coaching grid so people can't blow smoke up my ass. I, I, I've done a lot of good things in my life, but every time I've fallen over is because I got too ahead of myself. I, I read into the hype of how good I was. So, so part of what I do is try and uh, be aware of where I'm going wrong, have people who chin check me. So I've got type boys, bro, what's my why here? Am I doing this academy because I'm trying to build ego? I'm actually doing it for the kids. And, and that was part of jumping on the podcast. Like when Daddy said jump on the podcast, I purposely don't put myself in scenarios to talk about myself because I don't want the feedback that comes. People come and go, oh, best by your thing, best by your thing. But I know that ego is always a big part of who I am, so I never want to put myself in a scenario where that happens. But then I ask my wife, do I go on? She's like, if you can help people with the way you are, the way you talk, it gets to a wider audience, it can be healthy. So I just make sure that I always know my chin line. I'll go to my boys. Am I doing this for the right reason? What's my why? And yeah, I'm a weirdo like that. I don't know why. <laughs> no, no, it's good. Because that was the whole reason why 
because we when we try to realize or think why we started the podcast in the first place you know like for for me anyway it was like because like there's, there's nothing out there like this like there's nothing out there that you can hear our own people you know especially uh people especially people that that they live out west you know and they're not they're real people you know it's us it's our peers and that so and i give it up to both of you bro. i'll be honest like you know for me to sort of like total camps because i believe in him i believe in what he's built i believe in the network because it's pacifica it's west auckland it's pacifica perspective it's a Samoan guy who built it you know puts it from the garage that's why i'm all in on it because you know if you think about stories they connect and they're like people like to say like people's connection to the bible the story is about a person oh. but if i look at reality if you know that something was homegrown built and it became an international thing and this is international people will hear it right across the world and at, at any time they want to watch it or hear it i give you his credit because it's like man he's a uh, reaching for something that's bigger than news but gonna be around forever because all the seeds that you drop on the kids bro like just the the advice you gotta put yourself sometimes man because bro you might not know it now but like just sitting here listening to you hear it like lay it out like man whatever my kids do you're always gonna be loved maybe i need to give that to my kids like and i'm learning as, as we're talking man that's the brilliance of like laying these back because you can watch these back listen to them back and they might have different the second time you know so that's why I'm grateful for the just opportunity just to sit on and just even go on. Like, we can do this any time of the day, right? But this is going to be around forever. That's what I love, the beauty of it, you know? I better be careful what I stay, because uh, if it's there forever, I might get caught later. <laughs> <laughs> no, even even when you talked about how you, you father your daughters, you know, the way you do it, like, that's cool, man, because, you know, everybody fathers their children Definitely. differently, you know, mm. and there's, there's different points of view of that, and... And for some people, it's like, and with, with, with any type of thing we talk about on the podcast, like if if people are going through stuff or experiencing things, and they hear this and they say, "Oh man, I've, I had the same, I've got the same problem, or I've got the same thing," you know, and it connects that way, you know. Yeah, helpful, helpful. Is it, is it really? And you guys are good because, uh, all honesty, when you hear, you, you don't really see like Bila. That that thing about him going to Wellington, selling everything. Like I I know I've known Bila since we were young. Mm. I don't know that story. Also hops in his car, gets yeah, down I knew, there. I knew he got up and left. I knew he got up and left because it was like ducks. Like because I used to see my nipple. Then when one week we didn't see my nipple, and like he said, they backed up and gone. Only reason I, like, I don't go and use like that. Is like it's because he's run. had an affair. Oh, yeah. he on the runway. <laughs> you leave if you leave Auckland that fast, you played up also. <laughs> but then to, the faith in there to call someone again. What have you come off? <laughs> a few pillows and bed sheets. Mm. Where's the bed? No beds. I'm like, I would never have heard that if you didn't come here and lay it down. Yeah, and, yeah. and that that speaks volumes. Like, um, yeah, it's it's, it's See, his, his story is inspiring to me because he's a guy that got up and left with nothing, right? And look what he's created now with what he's like experience. He's moving down to Wellington, then doing all what he did down there. Now he's in um, Dunedin. No? Doing what All he's the doing, coaching yeah. stuff. Mm. All the coaching stuff. So it's like, it's like get up and go and let's just see what happens. I don't know. But but it's funny, like, I don't think anything's coincidence. I saw Pila at uh, Johnny's dad's funeral and he mentioned now he's coming on the podcast. Now. I didn't even know Philippe was doing a podcast because obviously I've got no hair, so I don't need to go to the barbershop. I'm bored. 
So I don't, I don't pop into see lady like the boys do. But but you know what I've always said to, to Kems, and I know he knows I said this all the time. It's all about timing. I always believe in timing. When the, when the stars align, like just be given the opportunity. Like you know, and we always talk about all for other boys. Like you know, you get the opportunity to pull your brothers into the space, man. Do it. Like you know, I'm not gonna try and keep this to, to myself. I'm gonna be like, man, if I get the opportunity to bring someone on to share, speak life. Speak, you know, speak about themselves because there's one thing all Pacific dudes do is they un- they downplay themselves. Like we haven't even touched on your under two decades of being a sales rifles, like <laughs> you know what I mean. But that's it true. shows it shows like that's how humble <coughs> we are naturally. Mm. Oh. Well, it's also that thing of what filter do we put on? Like yeah. I, I was thinking, of, I, I say this to my son all the time: take that Instagram down. Who are you really? Sometimes we can sit here and I can give you the version of me that I want you to see. But where's the me with the warts, the me with the hurt, where's the me with, that's the real me. And we, we, you said that about your your cousin before we jumped on, that you wish you could have videos of the real him. Uh, often as Polynesians, I only allow people to see the wall that I want them to see. That's the issue of social media, we only paint a perfect picture of ourselves. But if we can actually have honest chats at a table setting where we can talk about the real issues that we have with Polynesian men, that we have as fathers, that we have as daughters, uh, men's sons, then we can really start doing healing because we're a generation of uh, carry on, you'll be all right. Carry on, you'll be all right. I, I'm not big into you moping about what went wrong with us. But if we don't address it, then we pass that hurt on to someone else. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. Pass on. Like my, my son sees it time to time. Like I'll get angry and the rage that I saw as a kid comes out and my wife will have to chin check me. Babe, you got to go for a walk. And that's because I've only seen it that way. I didn't know any different. Although I'm trying to be a better father, when, when he has a bad footy game, my wife can see it. So... If we don't start st- talking that narrative and figure out ways to how to do things better, then we keep that stuff under the closet. And we, we're like those island families that fight before we turn up to church. Then we yeah. walk in and we're and all in all pray together. Love to my sister-in-law. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. Wife, you know who I'm talking about. Look like the... But at home are gelling. And then as soon as we leave church on the drive home, beep, 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 beep. Like we, we put a facade up and if we can get rid of those Instagram filters and put our masks down and show a real transparent us, then we can be better. We, Love we that, can bro. get to the nitty-gritty. Man, that's, uh, that's 100% right, Oose. 100% right. Because if, you, if you're not um, addressing, like, because I've parked everything. I've parked. Since my parents left, bro, I've parked so much shit. And then I wait for the time. Well, I wait for the signs. And then when it's time, it's time. You know, I, I will address it. I will unfold it. Like, you know. But, yeah, you're right, man. A lot of people wear those masks. And, like, you can sort of see, like, the way people react on social media, too. When they got nothing great to say and they just... Haterating or doing the emojis, bro, it's always mixed. How you see that is in a that's supportive or that's actually haterate. You know, a lot of people don't realize, like, bro, you don't have to laugh. Like, what's funny about something being so great? And, and it's not always coming from a place of anger or hurt or hate. Sometimes it's the only way we know how to cope. Like, we don't know how to deal with our yuck, so we don't address it, so we paint the perfect picture. But if we actually address the yuck, when we get hurt again, we don't have the same reactions because we fixed the last yuck. So it's, um, I see it as the dam when the dam's there and it, uh, the water's always full every time I get hurt it overflows because I never dealt with the water level before. So it's just trying to be smarter in the way that we're Polynesian. Be smarter in the way we're Māori because we're, we're warriors by nature so we naturally have that aggression in us but if we can uh, commoditize it a little bit better. Yeah, well that's the beauty of having the table like and me actually bringing it up. You know because you know, us we, we like to um, 
to make things better for me. Oh, yeah, or ice cream. <laughs> but, like, if we didn't have the table, you wouldn't be able to just feel free if it's outside of a barber shop sitting or a church. Man, the table is a perfect conversation, you know, sort of like objects to have in the space. Well, we used to sit at the back of science class and what we talked about. That's when he used to talk about you, Nikki, all the time, Nikki. I was like, who is this, Nikki? We were third form. He's talking about the same girl for three years. I'm like, who's? I better meet this girl. And then we were like, oh, I get it now. My man. He chased you forever. <laughs> she was mine from the start, Wolf, bro. I imprinted, you know, like on um, thing, I imprinted that shit when, I, was, when I first met her, bro. She knew straight away here, like, shh, doesn't matter. You're the only one that's going to meet my mum and dad. Ooh, my guys. <laughs> he was teaching us sign language at the moment. That was class. the Bayern. The man knows sign Bayern. language. Yeah, the boy. He, he's a man of many talents. I was like, what Samoan boy knows sign language? Back at science class, he's teaching us. How do I spell my name? How was your brother? He's good. i got to ask you this question, <coughs> Why? Why would? Why would you? Like I knew, like how you, like you'll take off school. Like because I thought we had a good. Like I didn't know, like many things before you came to um, Justin. But like why? Why? Why send your boy to the block? Like, what was it? Like cause in my head, I would have been like, I would have thought like like somewhere out. You know, it's funny you say timing. Cause <laughs> my wife wanted a no bar of the block whatsoever. Yeah. Um. Hummy and Johnny had a chat to me probably about four years ago. If we keep sending our talented kids out of the hood, how are we going to change it? So Hummy's younger brother went to the block. Johnny, this was just when Jarrell was 13. Yeah, yeah. He goes, I'm, bro, we live local, we play local, send my boy to the thing. So although Johnny's younger, the way that they raised their son, I've even I've looked up to. Like their boy is amazing. And, and they said education comes home. And, they, and he said that from the jump, Johnny says education is at home. Their son... Is one of the best kids I've ever met. He he's the most. He gets freedom for days, but never plays up. Yeah. But long story short, my my wife didn't want to bar of a block. My son, we did a walk around St Peter's. We had the opportunity to go Sacred Heart. Um, we we had a few schools on the roster, and, and we had the opportunity to go to Oz for his funny. Um, he he got into a scuffle at school, that um was he was defending his cousin who was getting bullied. He gave this kid a hiding. My son's grown up doing boxing since he was young. It's probably the worst worst violence they've seen at Glendon Semita in history. Um, we don't condone it, but I understand why he did it. His little cousin, who, who's lived with us since he was two, uh, a boy, pretty much a foot bigger, gave him a blood nose. My son got told, ran to go see him. The kid ran behind the deputy principal. The next day, my son found him, died him. Got on top of him, hit him. No one wanted to know him from that point. No one wanted to bother him. Didn't want to touch him. This is a kid who's the Pacific leader at the school, the sports captain. He's captain every single sports team's He's, he's the highest academic math student from Glenian and Primary. He's getting academic awards because he went and fussied a kid because he had bullied pretty much my other son, who's little, so a year seven was going to be up by a year six. And because my son grew up fighting, he gave him a proper hiding. And they pulled him off, he jumped back on and hit him again. Shouldn't have done it. We went and had meetings. Everything was gone. But I counted that as a blessing because I always wanted him to go to the block. We went to go have a meeting with the principal. Principal says... She wanted to know what the scenario was. And we told him, she said, oh, I can understand that as well. And then from there, she laid it down that he was a student before he was an athlete. And it was everything we needed to know. He's been in the rugby academy for about a month now. I can't praise him enough. And I'm a league boy. I, I don't know jack about rugby. I'm down there helping. But the standards and, and the culture they have there. I, I've been involved in professional systems. Wouldn't help my old man at 20s. Uh, where he's 20s. I, I, I 
coached at Topside Point. I've been at Marist, played Topside at Glenora. But the Calston boys' culture has got a vibe in it. And we've always known the brotherhood for generations has been there. Like we, like they they put on that YKTR, guys in their 40s still pulling the K up. But that's because it's authentic brotherhood. Like I still catch up with the same boys I, I, I played cards with in English class 25 years ago. We're still catching up weekly. So for my son to experience that now, oh, can't have been proud of it. And after watching the first 15 game, and they won, I've told my wife every day, he's going to cast them, yeah. he's going to cast them. He's... I was sitting there with Leo and and I want a couple of the other boys and we're watching this game. And I was like, man, it's like that love for that is still there. Shout out to my boy Jarrell, man. Right, he's the man. the man. He's the man. You know that, that culture you saw that's been there ever since with Castle Boys High in their first 15, you know, when you guys were there, when your your son's there now in, in the academy and, and you know how you said, you know, even guys in, in their 50s and 40s still putting the case up, that that kind of, that kind of like um, sense of belonging to or something, that's just in Castleton. But if that was everywhere in Auckland, everywhere in sports, if that was in the Blues, if that was in, in what it matter, or the, the clubs, you know, that kind of, that kind of support and, and culture and all, then I think... New Zealand sports will be in a better place because uh, that's, that's what we're that's what we that's what we're missing. Yeah, this is what America has. This is what Australia has in some ways. Yeah, we don't have that, and I think our sports will die because we don't have that. We can't rely on we can't rely on the funding the government gives us or the fundraising and all that because if you think about it, when when you fundraise, people are coming to spend money on other stuff. Yeah, yeah of, of course they get there to help the club and that, but they, they're spending money on other stuff. It's not for the sport itself. Not for the sport itself, exactly. But what what America does great is that because of the tribalism they have and their teams, the fans are spending money on the team. They're buying the jerseys. They're buying the. It's sustainable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're they're buying. They're going to the clubs like in 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 Australia when you when you go to a club. They got everything there. They got restaurants, pokies, they got casinos, all that. The community comes and just enjoys the time in the club, and they can watch the games and all that. Yeah, imagine if that was here. It's a catch twenty-two. Um, it's hard to mimic the Australian system because their population's so big. Club clubs in New Zealand are dying, firstly because we don't have the population and we have too many options. Um, so clubs like League, there's you got five clubs in the central area where if you had just one real strong club, it'd be packed out every week. But because it's saturated just there, like if they if they want sport to last, they got to amalgamate clubs, uh, but there's history there, so teams, they want to do it. But you, you'd actually become territorial. So if you were the club for the West and you'd only every kid who grew up in West wanted to play for wider or suburbs or Waitaka, if there's only one club, then it'd be packed every time because that's our West club. There'd be a central club, and then you play counties, you play Northland. Then it's probably more sus, uh, sustainable. But to have us, uh, I look at, I work in clubs all the time, and you can tell they're not going to last. No one's up there having a beer because of the drinking rules with driving. And, and just for the sheer fact that we can't even buy groceries, why are we going to spend money on beers at a club where you're paying $7 a beer? So the days of packing it out are gone, because unless the, the wealth's going to grow in the country, we, we just don't have the money to fund clubs. So although I'd love to be America and I'd love to be Australia, we need an injection of uh, new policies so that we can create generational wealth. Mm. A good example of how New Zealand deals with our sport 
as the as the Wellington Sevens. You know, remember how popular yeah, yeah, those used to be? Yeah, it was awesome. And they wanted to move to a rule. Like, oh, okay, I understand closer. And now it's gone. They haven't got a league here anymore. Well, they took alcohol away. That was the first thing. Yeah. And then no one came. <laughs> yeah, but that, 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 that's the PC thing. They like. just killed it. You know? Yeah, it's... it's uh, I don't know uh, what the answer is because they are trying to promote a, a better way of not drinking and driving and that kind of stuff. But how do you get clubs that survive off alcohol money to survive if if people only way, only other way is merch and um, you got to go direct to suppliers to get enough money in merch and sell at high volumes to keep the club sustainable. Yeah, and I reckon you you need that still need that um that tribalism for for merch to work. Yeah, because no one's gonna buy anything if they. That's a cool brand. I'm gonna wear that. Yeah, because because I, I mentioned before, like if, when you go to these sport games, like the if you go if you go to these clubs, the only people watching the games are the families of the players or ex-players. Yeah. You know, people involved in the the club at that time, rather than the public. Like, what's the percentage there? Like, public yeah. maybe ten percent, ninety percent is everyone else. Newland Stags was a massive club back in the day, but none of us go to watch it now. Mm-hmm. If my family's not playing, I don't go watch any team. I grew up at Glenora, although I got heart for Glenora and I love Glenora. If I don't know the people who are playing, I don't go watch. But you get American fans, they won't know anyone, but they can name every player in the team list and they turn up to every game. Mm-hmm. There's a different buzz. See, that's um, a different level. Yeah. You know? And that's why maybe the pride of uh, Samoa and Tongan jerseys is the rock. Like, you look at Tag, well, we talk about Tag often, but uh, Nationals is big. But Oceania, when you get to represent your country, country it's something like two point two times bigger because they got pride and I'm playing for Tonga, I'm playing for Tokelau, I'm playing for Fiji, I'm playing for Samoa, I'm playing for American Samoa. So I, I think we just need to, I need to just find the the right balance and get from there. Hmm. But how was your experience with having a boy at the school? Like, uh, I take my hat off to Matt, um, Willie, or Pete, all the coaches. It was funny the other day, we were at Trust Stadium and I looked to my right and it's Joel Burns. Like this is my year. Look to my left, Fasa Omulvai. There's Pete who we used to look up uh, look up to who's Athens is Henare's best mate. Like the the boys that are there are custom boys and our boys are going through the same system and they're all there together and there's a sense of pride of it. I know Jack Diddy about I'm watching and I'm saying, Oh so what's the ruckle? Like I, I know league, like I could talk about that for years about structure, splits, uh shape to play, everything. <laughs> Rugby's so different, but the skill set's the same, but I'm lost but I'm just enjoying learning something new. And the good thing is there's no ego. Like, what Willie's done to get this, he's brought back Kirsten Touch. Uh, they they got a promotion relegation game for basketball. They have the highest, and we're talking about this narrative about people see Kirsten as a thug school. They've got the highest pass rate for a student athlete in all, all of Auckland. Higher than Grammar for 15 boys. Like, we, we, we often say we are tired to our De La Sarkirsten fighting on the streets. Hood versus hood. But we don't talk the positive things they're actually doing. I think their their group seventy percent of the boys in the first fifteen passed the NCA. Yeah. There hasn't been on any stat, but if we can tell it to people, people start disillusioning trouble with Kirsten and they go, okay, it's academic school and a sports school. It's a good option for my son. The kids from West don't travel to Central to go. Our good talent stays in the hood, yeah. and then we get better funding and we get better facilities. You turn up, they're still underfunded. They still, if you're watching this and you got money and you're from the hood, give back to the hood. Go give it to the kids that are there. Seems like the boys from the from Ranui our hood, they free free hood is dropping times. Is that is it some type of one thing? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, like I love for Cece because I I got a few boys who 
and I I, I kind of mock the boys, but I do it in a light way. I, I like Liddy says, I've been successful in the corporate environment, but I was always going to buy in the hood I was from. I didn't want to go move to the shore or go live somewhere else. This is where my heart, this is where my people are. If I leave the hood, how do, who's going to change it? No one else is going to put their hand up to come and help these kids. So even though we've had success at a corporate level, and uh, me and my wife have seen the world through work, we, we've been fortunate enough to be blessed, but we've also done had misfortunes as well. But at the same time, if we all leave the hood to go see something better, our, our demographic will never change. Our kids don't get a better onset. They get stuck in poverty. Mm. Uh, so we we, we got to educate our kids that if the person living next to them owns their house and he's wearing a suit to work or he owns a construction company or he's a teacher or he's a plumber and we see good people living in our communities, we aspire to be there. But if we see the kids at the bus stop and they're wearing Auckland grammar stuff and they're leaving our area, we we talk into that negativity, that media that Kalston's not a good area. Uh, I'm glad my son goes there because I, I got boys who are other schools and they saying they wanted to come. My academy, we got five boys who left the central schools they're at to come to Kalston this year. And they're year 10 this year. They've left the school they're at to come to Kalston because one, the crop of boys that are there from our academy are all kids who are driven their training three times a week. They're, oh sorry, they're training three times a day. They're, they're not about gang life. They're happy-go-lucky, and they're working hard. They're, they want to surround themselves with like-minded kids. So once they saw that, they born into that, they leave uh, Avondale to come to Kirsten. They leave Mags to come to Kirsten. They they left Westlake, no, Western Springs to come to Kirsten. They're leaving the central schools to return to the hood because we've got good stuff there. I want to use your plug off to shout-out to Glenn Nierens and Vi. Vi's done. Like, with that influx of guys that came through not last year's one but the one before that with Amzan and that there was a good core of the Glenedon bunch that the whatever the academy is over there yeah, gladiators gladiators I, I, I had heard a lot about Avai um, to be honest uh, before going to Glenedon so obviously Robbie's one of the boys we all knew who his family was and Vi's run a Glenedon program for years I cannot uh, be a big enough testament to how amazing that lady is for her to have the infrastructure she does and to love the kids enough to put so much time outside of her work hours so yeah. that they can be great. And, and, and the thing about Vi, she's, she loves Kalston, yes, but she'll do what's best for the student first. If it's mags, she'll recommend mags. If it's Kalston and she thinks it fits, she'll send it to Kalston. But her sports program is second to none. And, and she gets the right people in to do the job and, and she trusts them to do the job that they said they are going to do. Um, a lot of people... They, they they don't like the way Vi does things um, because obviously Glennon's a big school and when your son doesn't get picked, people aren't always happy about it. But Vi will always do what's best for Glennon first and the students first. So yeah, love for Vi. Yeah. She is amazing. But it's just seeing like the the, the senior group eh, of the first the last two first year thing because I think of the year before it would have been the Henderson immediate influx all the kids that Suli got to come yep. through. So. Oh, you got Ratu, the two wingers. You had... Uh, Xavier Harris, you had Cole. Um, you, pretty much four out of the, the back line were all Glenn kids. But it seems like when Carson's um, doing well, it's on the back of when Henderson and Glennian are actually doing well at the sports camps as well, eh? Nationally. Yeah. Oh, it's, um, so Carson Intermediate normally have the most talented kids. But if you can get the crops, so you know how yeah, Bruce McLaren was strong, Henderson was strong. Glennon wasn't really strong, so there's a lot of talent in that that area. And the leaves, yeah, leaves west, yeah, and it leaves west. So, 
if they can come to Kelston too, I remember boys would leave Waitak to come to Kelston. How many and how many they left Waitak to come to Kelston? Mm. If we can get all our best talents to turn up there, firstly for a good environment, like the kids are looked after. Uh, I go through, hello, sir. Also, I'm not a sir. I'm not that old. The mm. boys are polite. They I've get... heard Matua once. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> <laughs> At least they didn't say fire. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> now, it's, you, you turn up and the kids are respectful. Mm. First of all, I get kids coming up to me that are, and I'll be watching at, at a Blues game, and they're like old now, 20. Hi, sir. So, we're same age, roughly. <laughs> You're right, man. The kids are doing that, and that's good to see. Cause when I was at school, now we we're always trying to talk to, talk to elders, eh? especially the the Bangi elders. You know, like always, always hold back and never, never have that thing to instigate the conversation. Like instigate yourself, yourself to come up to someone, and go, "Hi, my name is. How are you?" And blah blah blah, that kind of thing. Like, yeah. it's, no, it's a normal thing, but it wasn't normal to us when I was a kid, or to me and my friends when we were kids. Probably the most heart-wrenching one that I ever got tagged in was from Dice Diaz, he's a barber. He was cutting out a glenin. I was um, Broncos Bay at the time. Yeah, and he said there was a special kid they walked in, you know, it was an adult. And all the boys were sitting there, and they, one of them got up and let them have the seat. And they started making conversation. But while he was cutting, he was listening to the conversation. And he tagged me in it and he goes, man, man, shout out to those boys. You know, being polite and understanding and having that conversation at that level, you know, because they knew he wasn't all there. But like, you know, just to feel that through someone who's respected in the barber game was like, man, you know, obviously good stuff's happening down to school. Well, uh, off the back of your, your chat, it's so often that we um, put people on pedestals that we don't feel uh, we're good enough to talk to them. Mm. So we shy away from it. Yeah, yeah. That's it. And, and, and it takes the difference between kids coming up to say hello to someone because they're taught to be respectful, introduce themselves. But then we start putting people on pedestals that we shouldn't do and we create a fear. So it's not about um, shyness anymore. It's about I'm not worthy to talk to you. Mm. I, I was lucky enough. I, I'm in the corporate sector where I get to deal with CEOs of Fonterra, um, big, I don't like race, but big barangi dudes with a lot of money. But I walk in as a poly kid. I, when I first started at Fuji, there was no poly sales reps. There was one moldy dude. We didn't belong. But for some reason, because of the way we grew up, I would walk into a room and I wouldn't feel flying far. He was in there. I'm going to be authentically me. And when I'm talking like this, uh, I, I can put on the talk for the for the boys. But then I can be very, hi, it's Zane from Fujifilm. Welcome to the... We're just going to have a quick chat about your uh, expenses. And I can put on... Because we ripped it so much in school, I could yeah. put on this for some how's, how's your idiot one, do Is it no. <laughs> Shout, Shout out to the boss. Shout out to <laughs> He's got the cast of photos and everything. <laughs> but we, because of how we were, we can walk and sit. And once we've created credibility, people understand that, okay, they're not just dumb islanders. People look at us like we're not meant to be smart, like we're not meant to be at the table. But we can do everything they do, but we just do it with a different flair. Mm. Uh, and then if we can teach our kids that, like if you see um, a Samoan kid walk into an interview and a Balangi kid walk into an interview, the Balang kid, like, I belong. The Samoan kid will sit like this. Because we're taught, oh, you just sit there, be quiet. What I want him to learn is, man, you're a son of a king. Yeah, yeah. Your last name is forever. Your your family came here, and my, shout out to my mum, who was born in Samoa, came over. She came here with no English. She came here and set up a foundation. Yeah, we did it rough. And it, it probably wasn't the best foundation to go on. We saw things we shouldn't have. But if she didn't leave the country to come here, I wouldn't be sitting here right now talking. My kids wouldn't have the ability to go through. We we need to go glory to glory, not recess back into what we were. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. They gave us the opportunity to hit, to sit at the table. Now we're at the table. Now we dominate the table. We dominate the discussion. We change the narrative that we are the leaders of this country. You need us more than we need you. Because yeah, we can leave and come here. Yeah. <laughs> not, not, not making a race thing. I love my, shout out to my white boys. My, my brother, it's funny, my, my family's racist. Because all my aunties and uncles married white men. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm the only one that married a Samoan lady. Hey. I think it's because they saw the island girls bring us up when we were younger. <laughs> so <laughs> married them. But it's shared, it's shared, it's what um, Pacifica men value more in life. Mm. Like we ain't chasing dollars. We ain't chasing, we ain't about that. Sipping like what cognac in our skyscraper buildings and apartments and shit. All our yachts and shit. We're just worried about putting the. You know, we'd have more fun if it was Kimo outside and this was a couple of ling hanging from here and just a light bulb. We'd still be getting this shit done with a smile and having solid content, eh? But you couldn't feel that from, an, from say, a Caucasian. Um, but I listened to Mark Ellis's one one that was the other day. I was hoping to fucking crack the fuck up because he's funny. funny yeah. Then listen to it, I was like, bro, that's real different, different malia to what we call funny, eh? Yeah, mm-hmm. d- different flavor. Like, their humor is always different. But I actually think Mark Ellis funny on Iron Red Sports Cafe, but... I am I want more for our people than that. I know we can sit here and be happy in every scenario, but why can't we have the wealth to pour into the next generation so we don't have to eat the tail? Why can't my, have ha- my family have the salmon? Like, if we can teach our kids to be better with money instead of... And, and uh, you know, falawalawi is another thing, but if we were... When I went to Fuji Xerox, they taught me what it was to be better with money. All I knew when I got money was mum's got the card, she's got access <laughs> to my account, and I get a certain amount of money every week to go buy my lunch. But they taught us about property and investment and how to make your money work for you, how to use the bank's money to create more money, how to re, re-change the world to work for you. Now, if we can teach our kids that in school, if we can teach that to them now, once they get to uni, they can actually, or even into the workforce, they don't have to go through getting the loans that we did to get the shoes. We can actually start uh, changing the whole spectrum. Because I want to see our poly kids buying property. I want them to go on those trips around the world. Part, part of DC, what we do is we take kids overseas. Most of our kids haven't even left the hood. Mm. We, we're having to buy them uh, passports because they've never had one. Like, why, why can't we teach our kids how to be better with money so that the next generation start from here instead of where we start from, where we always start from broke? We, we can um, reinvent what we see wealth as. And, and I don't think it's... I've been blessed to have money, but it didn't change who I was. It did for a bit. Like when I first made money, when I went to Fuji, um, this, it's weird sitting here because there's only certain parts I want to show you, but all transparent. Let's be transparent, eh? Just so I can help. I went to Fuji, and Elliot will testify this. I went to Fuji film, and I walked down the, the parking lot, Alfa Romeo, Lamborghini, uh, Mercedes Benz. It was a car dealership, and all the sales reps were driving these cars. I sat on the scene and he goes, you're going to make X amount of dollars in your first year. I walked out, that guy is full of rubbish. I'm never going to make that money. My boss, the first week I, I started, showed me a paycheck for one week, 50 grand. Showed me. That's what I got paid for the fortnight. Even then I thought it was eats. Then the money started coming in. And the change in my ego straight away, my wife will tell you, I started buying a BMW every year. We started going holidays. We, we've been to Aspen, Canada, Tonga, my, my uh, want to fit into who they were changed who I was as a kid. I was still coaching uh, kids at Point Chev. I rocked up, there was a, a Tongan boy, 
And I pulled him with my brand new BMW, pulled in. He looked at me and goes, Coach, is that your car? Father, that's me. And I go, oh, yeah. The other tongue kid next to him goes, I wish we had a car. That BMW's parked in my driver. I've never driven it since. I told my son at 16, you can have it. It's been sitting there for five years. I never bought another. I, I drive my old Libero. Uh, we got a Mitsubishi. What is it called? Outlander. And an old family van that I drive now. As soon as that kid said that one thing, I, I remembered who I was. And it changed. Um, it's funny how you get, I always said I get humbled before I do something. A couple of years ago, Fuji Film lost $500 million. We got doing stuff that we shouldn't have done. I had to pay back a chunk load of money. And it's just funny how God stripped everything away from me. He goes, who are you now? Who are you the man when, when you don't have the money? What type of man are you? I, I, I tell stories of how I got really up there in coaching. Uh, coaching Warriors 20s, coaching Fox Topside. My, everything I'd done, I'd won, won a title for reserve grade. I had keys to Orlando. I had the best rugby league team in the country. Was sitting top of the table, dropped a second, and I got fired as a coach. I got fired, in it, and again, I got stripped away. Who are you if you're not coaching? So, so it starts checking who I am as a man. What is my why? Am I, am I, have I got that Instagram filter on that I'm Zane Pocklington, the coach? I'm Zane Pocklington, the sales rep. And then I started to realize the person that I was around all this stuff was yuck. That wasn't authentic me. That, and then from there, I, uh, I gained weight because I had to pay certain money back and the stress came in and all this stuff. But at the same time, I'm grateful for it because it gave me a real understanding of who I am at the shallow What's my real why? Am I a good father? Am I a good son? Am I a good husband? When I got to rock bottom, and all that stuff's come back, I went to go coach at Marist. I ended up picking that. So Marist hadn't won, in, they won one game out of 18. They were about to get relegated to second division. I had coached their point, which is the pinnacle. They, I could go to any play and go come to point, and everyone wanted to come. I went to Marist, who they were struggling at the bottom. I learned why I was there. Was I there to help the boys? I'd offers to go to Kura to other league clubs that it would have been easier. And I could have had revenge and gone to go B point. But in my heart, I knew I had lost that job because I'd lost sight of my why. It became ego. It was about winning now. It was about, I'm the point chef coach. I'm, I'm going to follow my, my old man's the Warriors coach. Uh, was the Warriors 20s coach. He's the, one of the directors of sport at the Warriors. That's who I was going to be. My ego was there. And then as soon as I stripped, I had to, I had to have a long time trying to recess who I was. Am I really that great of a man, or am I a guy who's just there for the look? And then I went to Port uh, Marist, and I've loved the ride. Good, humble kids from the hood who have nothing, who turn up for the feed after the game. And I got back into what real coaching was. Yeah, I don't know where this is going. Like, yeah, no, bro, that's beautiful, bro. Like that's why, what like the journey that you've been on up until now. Has been a roller coaster, because all these tests in your life has just taught you to get up, get back up, and just keep running. Because you know, and I I appreciate that Ken's allowing me to bring the guys on the table to talk about it. Because man, I'll probably watch this back and be like, "Fuck, that was good," and I want to snippet it, you know. <laughs> because you know, this is often you know, because like we we were in so many club, we had so many classes together, right? We're K all the way through, pretty much. Yeah. So we got to twelve. And then you ended up in V. You ended up in V or were you T? I was T. So you were T, bro. So we were 13 T all the way through. I didn't repeat. But like, we we, we, we went through the same struggle through school, right? Like, Ranoi to Kelston is fucking like, Ranoi to Hamilton. But seeing you grow and hearing about your growth, like, I only heard about it through Leah. That was the only way I knew that you were tracking well. 
but then seeing your success as a coach, like when I saw that, I was like, I was proud because I knew I've been part of your journey somewhere in your life, like in, in class. Even like when these like little mocks, like you talking about like size, like the things I remember you mocking me for would be like me saying, oh, I've got a bus for you, like being short. And that was the reality, standing at the bus line going, Tully got tested for love of my bus fare. I got a bus fare. Shit like that, you know? Now we sit here and laugh about it, but we talk about it. And that's the that's the that's one of many things that I wish that people can grow from is being able to talk about the stuff that we've been through. Cause the greatest thing that I've learned while I've grieved and been in a bad place in my mind is the reflection. How much reflection is of much value? As a dad, as a son, as a person in society, and just as a barber, man. Like, when I look about what you've been through, like, just you explain all of that in that, in that passage that you just explained that. Bro, it says, like, you're alive because we're living. We're living, man. We're living. We're on we're on the West West Network, you know? Something born and out West. And now you're talking about the greatest state school, all boys state school in the country. And, like, I never would have thought you would have said something like that, like, you know, customs spot, man. Like, to hear it, because I've been trying to do work through the old boys for ages, you know, trying to get guys to bring their kids back into the school. And, like, being put in that situation, would I send my, if my son wasn't autistic, would I send him to the block? Fuck yeah, 100% I'd send him there. But if the opportunity came somewhere else better, I'd I'd let him take the opportunity, you know. But that's, that's great, bro. I love that you've been able to talk about it and share it, man. Because he's going to be someone that's going to be like, wow. <laughs> really? This guy. It's like, well, what I loved about it was the lessons you learned, like going through all that. Like, that's so cool. Because, you know, when you when you met that kid, that kid said what he said, and you just reflected on shit. Like, what was that process for you? Like, thinking what that kid said and then actually doing doing what you're going to do. Because that's hard for people to actually take action People talk but don't take action, you know what I mean? Yeah, hard hey, hard out. You know, like, you know, when we're talking about like how you were working and you're, you're getting your paycheck and you're buying into stuff and you just, you know, it's like sort of, oh, not, not even that, when you were when you were coaching and you, all you're doing it was for, for, for the wins. Like it was for the wins, for the wins. At any time did you think, you know, things are going to be bad or things are gonna fall down or whatever but you just like maybe I just one more week I'll just win again or one more year I'll win again it's it's a weird thing because that saying pride comes before fall is so true like both scenarios I never saw coming like the work one we we got caught uh false like it's it should there'll be a movie of it, about it in five years yeah, the company it went through newspapers everywhere like my boys um and, and I always shout out to Matthew Wall and a guy called Neil Ishbola. Only once to hire a Polynesian kid. To give me the environment, Fuji took me around the world. I've seen the whole world based on them. So I'm always grateful for the opportunity. But a lot of our boys left and went to Oz and started doing what we're doing here over there. Um, we got caught doing bad accounting practices. And within a matter of three months, it had gone viral that Fuji had embezzled $500 million. You're talking half a billion dollars here. I'm having to pay back 150 grand, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to my wife, who, who I, I've always had pride that I was the provider, and, and people will tell that when it comes to me and money, I, I give naturally, like, uh, all these kids who come to the hood, we funded this program off the back of our own paycheck, here, come, we'll buy you, our kids were getting boots for free, like, we would gift from our heart, 
because if we, for who much is given, much is expected, so he would give. But she'd skirt on my wife and tell her, babe, I've got to pay back 150 grand. She hadn't worked for seven years, and I'm stressing over money. We got house payments, we got uh, car payments, uh, uh, we had got other bills. We, I was paying for my, my, my grandparents' house, my mum's house. We had all these people to, uh, my wife's mum's house. We were paying for all this stuff, and all these people still needed me to provide, and I couldn't anymore. And for me, as a as a Polynesian man who, who had, we would go to dinners with, and she's got a big family, and, and I'd walk up and swipe and walk away, like that that ego in me that the old man, uh, I'm the favourite son-in-law. The Rugby World Cup came and I went and bought him a six-inch TV. I needed cars for tyres, I walk and pay. Like this arrogance I had about me that me and money, I'm I'm good. And to go to my wife and babe, I got to pay this all back. And then three months in, and I'm struggling, and we're struggling to eat, and I'm going, babe, you got to get back to work. She hasn't worked in the whole time that she's lived. My wife had cancer when we were young, and so since then she's done studying all this stuff, raised our kids. To be honest, shout out to my wife, because without her, with I wouldn't even be close to the man I am. Like, like we've been together since 16. She's the backbone, saw me through highs and lows, and she was, she's always been direct. But, yeah, back, back to the story. To tell her that I had to pay that money back, and for her to... Um, Still look at me as the same man. Oh. How come you had to pay it back when the company got you? Isn't the company's fault? So we were doing deals that we knew we shouldn't have. But that, that, that's on the company though. Oh yeah, it's on the company. But they, they started pinning the sales reps because the sales reps should have known better. But for some strange reason, they punished the boys who stayed. All the boys who left never paid the money back. I had to pay the money back. I'm like, hey. And I was thinking of leaving, doing all this stuff. But in my heart, I knew I had done wrong. In my heart, I knew I shouldn't have done those deals. And the kid, like, uh, when I left high school, I went and studied Bible college. Like, church was massive. I had lost everything I'd been taught to live a lifestyle like these boys. We were partying like we shouldn't have. Uh, my, my first party, they're walking in, and it's, they're skiing. Like, in terms of there's that much powder on the table. We're doing stuff I knew I shouldn't have been doing. And yeah, I grew up selling drugs and that. But I knew as a Christian boy, I shouldn't have been in those scenarios. I had lost my uh, ethics of who I was. So me having to pay it back was a good thing. It wore me back to, also, I blessed you with this opportunity and look what you did with it. So so not not saying that God punished me to pay it back or anything like that, but for him to chin check me like that and go, who are you now, son? Are you still going to worship me? Are you still going to follow me? Uh, it was massive. And I, it took me two years to pay back that I was the humble kid. And then we, we've never got back to the state where we were making that type of money. We're still making good money. But now when I make money, I give it to the kids. Boom, go do this, go do this. Like we, sure. we pass it to the hood. That's what you call taking responsibility. But, but <laughs> it, it, Damn, it's, it's funny that <coughs> I got had that lesson and then the coaching lesson is exactly the same. So I paid all the money back. I stopped worrying about work so much. But my, oh, I actually have to go back further. When I was growing up, all I had was rugby league. I was dyslexic in school. My teachers used to tell, give me a basketball or a football, tell me to leave the classroom when I was in primary school. I couldn't read and write. Couldn't even speak English. I, I, my mum, because of the way she was, didn't get me checked. I couldn't hear. I needed grommets. So I struggled with English. I couldn't read or write. I couldn't do Jack Diddy. So basically, my grandma pulled me out of school. And, and shout out to my grandma. She was principal of Birdwood Primary. Uh, she's my dad's mum. Uh, I was raised by my Samoan grandma, so her, her English was limited. But she put me at the back of her new entrance class for three months teaching me how to read. I'm on my last year at primary school in the five-year-old's class trying to learn to read. 
she gets me at school C, yeah, takes me to the back of her five-year-old's class. You're studying for school C. So I'm blessed that uh, it's key times people are coming and, and sort of it. But all I had back in the day was my temper and rugby league. That's what my identity was based on. I didn't care that we were broke, that the kids had better boots than me. I knew when I hopped on that field, I could smash that kid. I'm going to prove I'm the best. That, that, that was the only thing that people wanted to know me for was rugby league. I'd make rep teams. Coaches praised me. That's where I got my worth from. I retired from rugby league at 28 from too many concussions. Same again. Who are you now that you don't have rugby league? Somehow I fall into coaching and now I'm a coach. And that's my identity. I'm coach first now. Who are you now that you've just been fired from point share of rugby league where you're second on the table? And this is, I, I don't know why, but this was in the public forum. People in Australia are commenting about how we're top of the table and I get fired at second. I only lost two games all year. I get fired. And everyone's talking about it. How am I now that that has been stripped from me? I'm the kid that's been fired. So the lesson that I had when I had to humbly go back to my wife, it's happening again where I'm getting checked about my ego. So it's a, a, a continual thing that I didn't learn the lessons here that I kept finding identity and other things and titles. So it's, it's taken me a while to learn it. So I'm not, this guy who sits here now talking to you about life, I had to learn the hard way because I, I think uh, the kid who was dyslexic has <laughs> slow learning abilities. But I've been chin-checked when I, when I wasn't a football player, I struggled with who I was. When I wasn't a... Uh, a sales rep making big money, I, I didn't know who I was. When I stopped being a rugby league coach, who was I? And then it was only after that chin check, and um, yeah, not going into the details of who took over when I was fired or any of that laundry, but I had to deal with family issues that I didn't think I had to deal with, but it came back all the way to my childhood where I had to unpick who am I now. When you wash all the fame, all the masks away, and that's why I always say to my son, take the masks away, who are you, son? What is your why? Why do you do things? And that's kind of the foundation of where I built from there. And now I sit here now. 130 kgs when I was still coaching, I was only 98. Man, the world <laughs> still got to see the best of us. We still worry about oh. that. Don't worry about that. Shout out to my wife. She's amazing. Yeah, she's a solid lady, man. Like, you know, whatever. I would have told my sister, divorce this cat. No jokes. <laughs> but I, I, I'm so, nah, actually, I, I was the first boy she ever dated, so grateful. Um, but at the same time, she, she's right or die. Like, we were... And that's why I think I'm always grateful. We were probably 21 when she had uh, aplastic anemia, similar to leukemia. Doctors told us we'll never have kids. Told us we're never going to have kids. Came in and told us you can either freeze these eggs for 10 grand. And that's why I always knew that I've always been blessed. Because I look at my son every day and he's my miracle boy. But my whole way up to 25, I thought, oh, don't worry. It would just be us two, right or die. And then the day... She she goes to the bathroom. Uh, I haven't actually told the story to no one. She's at my mum's house and she comes out and she's got this weird face on. What the flip is wrong with you? Why, why are you acting funny? Shows me this thing and she's pregnant. She's scared to tell her dad. So she's a five-year-old's daughter. <laughs> We're engaged to get married. We're not married yet. And she's just found out she's pregnant. <laughs> and in a Samoan AOG church, we're getting married next week now that she's pregnant. Yeah. But, uh, long story short, she was nervous. And I ran, first thing I did, ran and told all my custom boys. Boys, we got to do a meeting. They go, what's up? I'm going to be a dad. Da, 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 the happiness from knowing that I was told I wasn't going to be a dad to be a dad. Ooh, mm. Still hits. And that's why I'm grateful. Mm. That's why it's, it's important to get this on record and leave an archive for our Kamikis because, you know, they might, you know, years from now when we're not here and they can look back on these episodes and go, man, that's, uh, that's why you would be your boy's and your daughter's hero, because all that was thrown at you 
no matter what happened, you came out the other side. Yeah, even even if you if you when you got chin checked those multiple times in your life, you can then say, by the end of the day, you enrolled your boy at the greatest all state school <laughs> in the country. <laughs> you sit here and you tell me about stuff that I don't know because I've sort of washed my hands and put it to the side about the KUB. And then the, you hear you reiterate what I would already know is beautiful because it shows that that's life. You know, life's not made to. It wasn't made for us to be able to just escape. Huh. It's easy. You clock this game because it's not, you know, it's like everything, all the trials and tribulations fall into your lap for a reason. And the way you've stood tall after it, man, that's, that's the positive and that's the beauty. And you sharing with us like what you've been through, man, because not many can, you know, stand here or sit here and testify to it. But you're living proof, fools. that's what I'd say. You're living proof of like no matter what was chucked in your path, you and your wife, you know, he's a four kids deep back in the hood and passing your 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 wisdom on to the next generation well it's not something that we would uh i would openly ever talk about so <laughs> discussion now is pretty strange to be honest <laughs> no but it's but beautiful that's the thing it's like you know the gems that you can take from this or that everyone will take from just listening to these episodes and just being able to use the platform to share it is is the greatness and and the value of it you know it's it's a value that you could never buy back mm. these, these will be around forever like you know, in any moment that we're not, we're long gone from this. Like brother, can I just go? Oh yeah, turn around and see what that's going on about. What, what what's that up to? You know. So where you are now? Are you back at coaching? Are you coaching again? Uh, so so I officially retired last year from coaching Topside. I'm still helping Amherst. Uh, beautiful club. Uh, they, they they are light on helpers. So if you are a Amherst kid and you're watching or Amherst out, go down and help. Uh, people need they they need helpers at club level, so so I'm down there coaching. I'm still um, helping out at custom rugby, so I'm on board with Matt in the under 14s. I run my DC program, coach touch and tag, uh, but I'm actually enjoying having more time to watch my 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 other kids. So my older boy, I always followed around, always coached his teams, but I would because of all the commitments of time. So when you coach a top side, it's not a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. It's a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And Sunday, you're re- I'm watching tape of the game. My like, my I was missing as a father heart out, and my wife was carrying the load because my commitment to football. I'm obsessive. I, I want to know how do we make these kids better. What do we do? What are we doing wrong in football? So I'd be tape review nonstop. So you're you're doing forty plus hours on top of your forty hour job just to coach a topside, and people often see the glory of what goes into a topside coach, but the hours and times, the meetings. It's not like back in the day where people would, when I was playing football, I wanted to go to training. You got to text every player, check that they're okay, find out what's going on in their life just to get them to turn up. Um, so, yeah, any topside coach, it's not an easy gig, um, but it's one that's beneficial and it's one that uh, you get a lot of blessings from. Yeah, it's rewarding, big time. So how are you managing your time now with your full-time job and all your extracurricular activities? It's funny because people family say... family life too, you've got to juggle. Yeah, uh, people say that um, you got to be good with the time, but see, why don't you just adapt? You, you don't find more hours than they You just end up... Uh, I find that... like Me and my son talk about it often. Sorry, I always refer to my son, but we we check our screen time. And he, we always monitor his. That his is no longer, no more than two hours and thirty minutes, because your phone tells you how long you're on your phone. So people say, "Where's all your time?" But I can guarantee you, you're scold for six hours, and, and you've spent phone time wasting it. So uh, it's not that I, I, I am better with my time than anyone else. 
I just find that I'm on my, I have less time to muck around because I'm busy doing other things. And it's just, that's, people de-escalate by phone, I go and coach kids. It's mm. just different. It's amazing how much time we spend on doing that. I, I checked my um, my academy boys, some of them are doing seven hours on the phone, I go, oosh, that's seven hours someone else is in the gym getting in front of you. Cut that down. Should be no more than two and a half, three. And, and if you go into detail, it tells you what app you're in. There's nothing on TikTok Unless you're watching Technique on passing On TikTok What are you watching oh, That ain't feeding Nothing into you So, so I, I don't try And micromanage The boys in our academy But mm. I, I will go very you, 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 you can go to the gym During that time You can get your Jump on the computer Because It's that mentality That if If I'm working Someone else has to work Twice as hard to beat me So try and find The value in your time I, I dropped that gym On my oldest I said to her when she actually looked at it and she deleted all the apps off her friends, my oldest at uni, I said to her, if you ain't making a dime, a cent off any of that screen time, get the fuck off the phone. And she was like, well, that, that really is okay. <laughs> she was on it for like more than 36 hours a week. I'm like, yeah, get off your phone. It's good for me to hear your advice on that, on the screen time, because I'm I'm having trouble managing my time away from work. Like, because I do the podcast, plus I'm, I'm into writing. And I'm into making content about about movies and, and TV shows. Yeah. So if you think about content for movies and TV shows, you got to actually sit down and watch these movies and TV shows, right? Yeah. So that's time. So, you know, how you said, if you're not making money off those screen time, you know, what are you doing on it? But to me, watching the video, uh, watching a movie and, and watching TV shows is my way of... It's of research. Yeah, so, so, so you're learning that there's a difference between scrolling for no purpose yeah, and yeah, actual yeah. research. So I, I, I'm with my kids. If they're watching something productive on YouTube where they're learning a, a language or their guitar, they, guitar or yeah. my, my boy's into boxing hard out. So I'll os- often watch him watching tape of Tyson fighting or he'll go watch an NRL clip. I don't see that as screen time. Mm. I, the phone's not going to disappear. So we got to add that into the way that we teach our kids. Because I'm not always going to be there. So if they can learn off other people who have done it before me and got to higher levels, that's actually smart of using technology. This The statement that technology is all bad, nah, it's just how we utilize it. Mm. China have that thing on TikTok that they can only see good things on their TikTok. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just how we, everything in moderation. I There's always time to be on social and go talk to your friends on social media. Cool. Because that's how kids interact. That's us talking to yarn at the barber shop or sitting at the bus stop or at the back of... The bus yawning, that's how they talk these days. So you don't want them to be the hermit crab that doesn't have the phone. And my wife always says, worst thing we do was get him a phone. Well, every other kid from eight got it and he didn't get his until he was <laughs> 12 because I had to figure out, can he catch the bus to training or not? Mm-hmm. And my daughter's screaming out now, PJ got his phone at 12, do I get it? No, no, you don't have training like he does, so I'll pick you up. But it's just been smarter in the way we do it. Mm. And not everything, like it's not our black and white anymore. If you're doing research into a movie... Right, that's positive. So um, don't be too hard on ourselves, but at the same time, be honest with yourself. When you look in the mirror, who are you? Are you doing this because you're being lazy or you're doing this because you're trying to better yourself? But that's, that's the beauty in reflecting, man. If you reflect over your weekend, just see where you spent your hours the most downtime. Don't, don't, count, don't take into the hour it takes you to get prepared for work and on the hour back to drive home. Look at it as in the hours you were putting in while you were having downtime. Like not making me, I not not rubbing everyone else of your quality time, like family time and stuff, and actually looking at it like that, because it wouldn't be a lot. Yeah, uh, well, my no, wife's the same. My wife's very big. Like, I can, 
I can spend time with my wife, but she goes, are you giving me quality time? She's like, you, being in a room and playing on your phone isn't quality time for me, love. Like, so it's just being intentional about what we do. And, and because I'm blessed and she allows me to do all this stuff, if, if it's only three or two hours a day I get to spend with her, that's quality time, make sure it's time for her mm. and not time on my phone. So juggling family, juggling work, juggling football, juggling the phone, if we have the right intent and we're actually um, diligent in what we do, life becomes easy. Man, you know what I'm stressed about with managing my time is sleep. Because yeah. someone told me that um, it's between how is it seven and six and eight. Everyone needs six and eight hours sleep every day for a healthy life. Because if you if you sleep less than six hours, it's bad for you. I think it takes years off your your, your years off your life if you don't have that deep sleep. That's so it. I always add that six hours, seven hours into my day. Like, okay, I need to go to bed at this, so I can wake up this time. But then I need the time to sometimes I need like to cut into that time just to do some work or do some extra stuff, you know. Your work will be there the next day. I, I'm real big, like, I, I'm not saying I'm a healthy person, but I'm on that ch- looking in the mirror every day and bro, you're fat. Like, I'm having that honest chat with myself. Like, I can make every excuse to go eat takeaways, but will I go make an hour to go to the gym and try and do a session? And my the, 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 the sleep time that is for your health. Because if we start having, and I've seen that we're burning a lot of brothers because they're having heart attacks. We can't, once the time's gone because we didn't look after ourselves, doesn't matter how much time you needed that you gave up for sleep, you're gone now. Mm. So so we got to make health, the health of family and health of living your main priority. Everything else comes second. Yeah. And I, I'm not saying I'm an athlete, I don't go for runs, but trying to make smarter decisions around health, or else you're going to have no time. You're going to be this dead. Is, this is the whole thing about the stars and lagging you can see on my wrist here, I have a pair of a <laughs> and right to be honest, like I just got like offered small little changes to do, and it's hard, man. I'm not saying like losing weight is the easiest thing, but like I feel like before our 40th, like the world needs to see the best version of us. Have you seen Danny Bernard lately? He's the same because all of us are turning 40 same time. Because I want to look back at my son, see me at 40, and I'm in the best shape I've been. Like, we we can make excuses for Africa, I don't have time, or Oh, we can't afford to eat healthy, or I can't do this. Or we can make an, a, a contract with ourselves. On my 40th, I'm going to be in shape. And it might not be back to abs and 85 kgs, but we could be at 105, 110 instead of that 140. Like, we can be realistic, and then we can raise our grandkids. We can hang out with them instead of my son looking at me. Well, I talk about my youngest. Dad, let's go kick the ball. Yeah, I'll kick the ball for a while. I can teach him every tackle tick, kick tick, but I can't do it because I can't breathe. Well, that's the thing, man. Sometimes we need that wake, that rude awakening, eh? Yeah, the honesty. Like, um, like I've, I found that like when when, he, when I start getting back into training fully when my back's right, it's I'm gonna need that almost dying, like wake up call, like they almost get with myself, gonna be sitting down for twenty minutes just trying to get be able to stand up. You need that because that's gonna be the shock and the mental wake up that they're like fuck you. They never wanna feel like that again. It's unfortunate that people waiting for that. Oh, they don't. T- they don't. Intend to Like like For me I know I know I know You gotta look after yourself You can't be eating junk food all the time But for me It's like Okay one more week of junk food Or one more day of junk food I'll start on Monday I'll start I'll start Monday You know Maybe we Right here right now We make a pack Let's do this You keep on doing it Let's make this change right now But but shout out to the brothers Like A couple of the brothers Johnny Akavi You would miss me Oh so I'm picking you up What are you picking me up for And maybe it would take us to do Anchor class Yeah Why 
he, he's got an intent that his heart is for us not to die. So he picks the boys up to go train. Tolo, he's training for the police at the moment. We are checking up weekly or daily. It's Our self-control has limits to it. But if we got brothers to keep us accountable, yeah. that keep murdering us when we're low, then we're more likely to do it. We're, we're going to stick to it. Because, man, Mondays, there's always another Monday yeah, coming. It's, it's funny, eh? Because, like, the more you think, like, when you are trying to do things by yourself, that's when it's the hardest. Yeah. But if I like you got your circle of boys or your peers to help you, fuck, that's when it's easy because you keep each other accountable. But not only that, it's you like... You don't want to let them down. Bro, that's it. That's the, the, fe- that's the disappointment, eh? That disappointment fact that you didn't want like, oh, shit, this guy's an eats guy. <laughs> you're a build-up guy. And the hard ones when your kids look at you and tell them how to do something, they're like, can you do that? <laughs> <laughs> you wait, mate. I'm going to walk around with no towel on. <laughs> But nah, I just, yeah, I just feel, bro, with what you've shared with us, mate, it's gold, bro, that's, that's like, you know, it shows that, yeah, right about now, we, you know, now that we are getting on, it's like, bro, we need to be able to put the value of health, eh? Big time. Because it is, it is important, man. Yeah. We is so we making a pack like <laughs> let's start this record the episode and be like it's Monday tomorrow <laughs> Monday tomorrow, <laughs> Monday tomorrow. <laughs> it's funny because I actually joined the gym two weeks ago yeah have you gone uh been but man I feel bad because the last I missed the last five days and I feel bad about it but the first week I I joined I went every day so I don't wanna I don't wanna yeah man that don't delete your money else. <laughs> There's kids around the world that need that money too, and you're donating it to the gym. Let's use it. But that's what I mean, man. Like, I have that. See, I know when I eat junk food, it's bad for you. You know, I'm liable to get a heart attack. But then I'm, saying, I'm not going to get a heart attack tomorrow. I'll just have a fish and chip. I'm not going to get a heart attack tomorrow. I'll just have this. I'll have this. I'll have this. You know, but it happens every week. You know, I'm not going to get a heart attack tomorrow. I'll start again the next day. It's that um, time <laughs> optimist. Yeah. We always think we've got more time. But in reality, I thought I can start training later, and then I look at the scale, and oh, I should have started training ages <laughs> ago. And then when I go, and you start, and the hard thing for us is when we fall off the wagon, we focus that we've fallen off, and we stay in that negative connotation. Mm. Have a memory like an elephant. I fell off, but I'll jump back on. Let's go again. Better yeah. to keep trying again than, ah, oh, that's so good. I missed five days. I'm just going to chill. Mm. Just get up and do it, eh? Yeah, mm. man. Just do it. Excuses or results can't have both. I <laughs> <laughs> mean, I appreciate your time, brothers. No, bro, no worries, thanks man. Thanks for having James, me. Bro. Thanks for Bye. coming, man. It's been, yeah, man. I've learned learned a few things, eh? And for a few good advice too. My times management and stuff. But um, so in the round starts next week, boys. Oh no, next week, two weeks, eh? From now. Two weeks. So roosters, where, where do you think they'll end up? Uh they should be top four again. Well, with the stocks that have come in. I can't see them losing and Smith. they got a good culture. Smith, that's a dominant hooker. How they're under the cap though, I don't know, but <laughs> that's my team. We Straight are. Up, hey. <laughs> bro, these guys recruited like, hey, how are they, bro, like even when they got SPW back there other season, I was like, hey, bro, you just got Roger out of steel, man. They <laughs> still Roger's going back if he doesn't make the World Cup squad. Mm, yeah. so they're definitely over the cap, but hey, <laughs> what happens in Bondi stays in Bondi. Yeah, man. And Eels, where are they going to be? Oh, bro, you know what it's about, man. We'll be top four. Easy this year. Yeah, everyone read us off last year, man. 
Next minute, man, you know I love the love the the, 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 the um the club. You know my uncle Joe whenever during all about whenever, and like he very solidified it. Man, Fui Fui said it himself, bro. Manu Mao said it himself, bro. They would never go play for another you know real club, you know, because that's how good the club was was to them. And love to Manu and Miss. Uh, sorry for your loss, brothers. Charles, thanks for coming. Charles, thanks for coming. Cheers, boys. Do you have a slim version on this? Can I make a slim? Yeah. <laughs>